Hello, my friends. This is Too Much Information with Sean Arnold. I'm Sean Arnold. Thanks for coming around to listen. I know it's been a minute. Um, I went out of town on vacation. I had crazy times at work. And my normal cadence of episodes did not go. But I feel like the wait is going to be well justified because I have a bang-up guest tonight (laughs) who is in the Too Much Information studios. Didn't even dial in. He is the founder and CEO of Banding People Together. He's a hell of a musician, I know, from the musician days. He's done 411 billion other things. Alan Schaefer, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, hey, thank you for having me, man. What's up, my man? Thanks for coming over. You know, um, anytime someone says there's bourbon in it for you, I'm, <laughs> I'm willing to show up. Absolutely. So, here, cheers. Cheers. Yeah, here, clink. Yeah, this is, uh, this is you know, there's no substitute for uh, breathing the same, the same collaborative air, my friend. That's so good. And just if you're wondering, I think this is going to be a new feature. I sort of did this with Gareth, where we sort of grabbed a little something. And I'm a bourbon guy. Like, I have a lot of things. It's a southern thing. Yeah. Um, this is a Stag Jr. Um, it's uh, it's made by Buffalo Trace, which is a distillery in Frankfurt. Or, I'm sorry. Is it? I just outside of Frankfurt, Lexington, Kentucky. It's that area. Um, it is um, a barrel-proof bourbon, meaning it is not cut. Most of your... Regular bourbons get cut to 90 proof, 45% alcohol by volume. Um, this is 60 proof. Um, or I'm sorry, 120 proof, so it's 60% alcohol. It's just whatever it comes out of the barrel, the alcohol strength, that's how it goes in the bottle. It's about a $90 bottle of bourbon. Um, so I think it's definitely on your mid-ish high end. I mean... I, got I, feel, some. I feel smarter than I did 30 seconds ago. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. I mean, I told you that there's a, the, the, this is Stag Jr., George T. Stag, which is the big one I've got downstairs. It used to be $300 a bottle. Now it's $1,000 a bottle. Yeah. Y- yeah. You've I, had a little of that. I, I have. Um, yeah. I have. I have had a little bit of that. So, anyhow, um, maybe I'll just do a different one every time, and this can be a 20 seconds worth of bourbon podcast and uh, whatever. So, if you like bourbons, try Stag Jr., it's pretty good. There it is. So the Johari window. <laughs> the Johari window. I just learned about this today. And it's funny because Alan was like, hey, man, if you want, just work this in. And I was just like, I'll figure out a way to work it in. Well, um, <laughs> so, you know, here's the thing. So uh, being a student in the game of, uh, of self-awareness, I mean, yeah. that's, that's essentially what I do for a living. You know, what has made me as an expert is how much of a douchebag I was in the past. Can I say something about you, though, before we get into this? Of course. Just to make sure the screen doesn't go dark, otherwise I'll yeah, give yeah. you my double secret passcode. Yep. Uh, Alan, as long as we've known each other, which I got news for you, dude, is sneaking up on 20 years now. Oh, man. I'm going <laughs> to punch you right in the <laughs> noids. Um, uh, you have always been, even before... Well, you were an entrepreneur when I met you, alongside being a musician, <laughs> but you've always been... I felt like you've always kind of been a student of the world. I, I, I feel like you've been very observant and sort of aware of things that are going on around you. Well, that is that is kind of you. Yeah, you know, I, I find it makes the world a little easier to process. <laughs> yeah, um, some of us, uh, some of us have a tendency to look at it, uh, maybe at least attempt to look at it a little more objectively than others. <laughs> sure. And I'm still working on it. I'm def. I'm getting better. I'm drinking milk. I'm getting better. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, student of the game. So, and now that's obviously uh, transitioned over into what you do, which we'll get into later. So let's, so go, what's this thing? Yeah. So, um, and, and this came from uh, a friend of mine that, um, 
a guy named Jesse who I met at a thing called Downrange. Can we talk about Downrange? For sure. A tell me, I mean, we talked about so, off, off mic. I'd so, so a good buddy of mine is a guy named Kenny Thomas who um, Cornbread. Cornbread. Sure would love some of your Mrs. Cornbread. <laughs> he was in a band out of Columbus, Georgia yeah. called Cornbread. But that was actually his call sign. Oh, I did not know yeah. that. Yeah, so he was a ranger, and okay. you know, movie, I knew he was a ranger. So the movie Black Hawk Down. Yeah, uh, he was one of the guys in 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 the fight, and so he uh, he is a country music singer. He is a pilot. He is a uh, uh, a speaker. Um, he does talks on leadership all over all over the country, and um, you know he uh, he was we were hanging out a, a while back and. He uh, he told me about this thing that he was putting together that was like a simulated army ranger training, uh, and it was out in Wyoming. Of course, and, and I got to tell you, it, you know, it's funny. It was the last part of like, kind of this like blur for me. Um, you know, you go in the. I, I have these. Tra- my wife can tell you I have these blurs of travel, right? So like, I'm I'm staying put in Atlanta for three weeks, and it's it's almost I almost feel guilty. It's decadent, <laughs> right? Yeah, yep. But uh, you know, I went from you know Bonnaroo to see you two, Joshua Tree, my favorite record of all time. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, and did they crush? They, they not only did they crush, but um, our experience crushed. Um, we went because there was a friend of ours that this is this is the way this will really help your listeners understand sort of how my life works. Um, I was calling who I thought was the graphic artist for our company, a woman <laughs> named Holly. But I called the wrong Holly in my phone, <laughs> and it wasn't my wife. And so it wasn't your wife. Least, yeah, at least I, the there third it is. <laughs> and then I called her again, and it was um, and this and Holly it was Holly Madison who uh, worked at Concert Southern with Alex Cooley. Oh, that sure. went Way back, right? And what was funny is I didn't even realize even after the second time I left her a message, <laughs> and so she calls me back and she goes, "Hey, Alan." I'm like, yeah. She's like, this is Holly. I'm like, Holly who? I was like, Holly <laughs> She's Madison. Like, you called me. You called me twice this week, and uh, I don't mean to be funny, but I don't hear from you a lot, and you called me <laughs> twice. Uh, is everything okay? And she thought that maybe I was calling because uh, Colonel Bruce Hampton had just passed. Yes, indeed. Um, and, you know, so we started talking. I said, wow. Uh, I, I I can't even credit this as an ass dial. Like I I actually thought I was calling a different Holly, but man, this no accident. Let's catch up. And so we started talking, and to you know make a long story not so long, she said, "Well, I've got you know." We started talking about music, and I said, "You know, the only band out there that I really want to see at the moment is you know I'm a huge U2 fan, and when I was a little kid, my mom wouldn't let me go see U2 on the Joshua Tree." Joshua Tree tour. I, I'm not sure I ever quite forgave her for that. <laughs> and um, and the idea that I could see them do the whole album, that's amazing. She goes, I got a great idea. Why don't you and your wife come up and be my guest? Oh, wow. Yes. Serendipity, my So friend. for my old 47-year-old ass, um, <laughs> uh, you know, the way I go to festivals, now that, especially now that I'm not playing festivals, I, I have to be out of the crowd. Of course. I, I, I'm the same I, way. I don't want to wait in line for bathrooms. I don't want to camp. Oh man, I've become that guy. Um, I I don't want to wait in line for beer, or water, anything of the sort. So we had artist passes and the whole deal, and like so, it took us five minutes to get in and park. Which you know, we have uh, Chandler, who uh, affectionately is known as Chandler the Handler in our organization because he's got to <laughs> overcome me right. on a daily basis. <laughs> um, 
Chandler went up there to camp and do the whole experience with his girlfriend. He's 23 years old, and he was like, took him four hours to get in. I'm like, dude, it took me five minutes. Uh, and um, so we also we got to hang out at the soundboard to watch the show where there was a bar and a bathroom and oh all this. Oh, my God. And then we left and went back to Nashville, and the whole thing was just so easy that um, uh, I don't I don't know if here, here's this thing, by the way. And so... Um, so I went and saw you two, and uh, man, they blew me away. And and they're one of the few bands that make me feel like a fan still, which yeah. is not easy when you you know this because yeah, yeah, when you've done what we've done, it's like um, the jade you got to wash it yeah, off. Yeah. Of so it's funny you mentioned that because I've kind of always been there about crowds and like back in the day, like the ninety nine X years and stuff like that. Because you were, I mean, that's why we would always run into each other mm-hmm. in the artist tent or backstage, and I got really spoiled. And like I don't, I I haven't. This isn't a new thing. For the last twenty years, I haven't. Want, I've still got it here. I'll give it to you in a second. In, in the last twenty years, I I I still don't want to go be out in the crowds and wait in line for four hours and what? Like I just I'm not interested. You I know never I, mean? th- I never thought I'd be that guy. Oh, I've always been that guy, <laughs> and I embrace it. I'm totally yeah. fine with it. I'm just like you, the common folk. I'm I'm not. Uh, yeah. I'd rather just stay home. Yeah, but I, you know, I, Bonnaroo was cool. I'm, I'm I'm was glad that I went and to see you two do their thing was was really incredible, you know. Um, They're iconic. They're iconic. I, I, you know, I just... And you know what was really cool? I appreciated the fact that they got out of their comfort zone. It was only the second festival they've ever played. Oh, really? Ever. What's the other one, like Glastonbury? Yeah. yeah. Ever. Ever. I didn't know that. And so, you know, and I remember at one point they said, you know, <laughs> but I was like, to the edge, I, I think we might have gotten this festival thing wrong. Like, this is killer, <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah, it was... It was uh, says the band that can put a uh, hundred thousand people in Wembley. I mean, that's sort of like with the festival thing, I and mean, they don't really have to do festivals. Yeah. So it was. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was really cool, and I, I don't even know how I got on Bonnaroo. By the way, I don't either. We were talking about Johari, and then somehow. Oh yeah. Up. Oh, so we we're so I was downrange, and, and oh yeah. So downrange in Wyoming, and so so I'd gone from oh and uh, Kenny. We we're talking about yeah. Kenny. So so I'd gone from Bonnaroo. I came home for a day. I went to Berlin. Uh, and my wife and I, we, we work with a company called Here. Not Berlin, Alabama. No, not Berlin, Alabama. Is there Berlin, Alabama? <laughs> I believe there is. Okay, yeah. I, I don't doubt it. And um, so we went to Berlin. And I may I, have made that And up. I came oh. home and was home for two days, and then I went to Vegas and Phoenix, and I came home for three days, and then I went to this thing in Wyoming. And there was a gentleman there, and, and it was a really interesting bunch. I, I was very humbled. Um, you know, uh, so there were three guys... You know, there's some army rangers. There were three guys there that were in the fight in Mogadishu, and that was just hearing their stories was so humbling and so incredible, uh, just really life changing. But it was a great eclectic group of people, and mm. so like there was a guy named Jim Weatherby, and oh, he, yeah. he, he's now my. You know, I met this guy. Uh, so he was the head of like the selection process for the space program. He did five or six missions. All I know is that when all of a sudden you're sitting there at dinner and you hear the words, you know, <laughs> when I let Gene Roddenberry's ashes go into space, <laughs> <laughs> you just fall over. Like, did that just like it was it was pretty cool. And uh, and there was an Olympic gold medalist. And then there was a, a guy there um, whose father had discovered a band called Smile that then brought on a singer named Freddie Mercury, mm. you know, some little teeny band Small called band. Con Queen, you know, and uh, <laughs> and so it was just, it was a pretty humbling thing. And one of the gentlemen there was a guy named Jesse who was an agile expert. 
Oh, okay. You know, and so Agile. We really, use Agile at my company. Yeah, yeah. and and so um, you know, we we kind of hit it off, and he was very much a thinker, and uh, we had a conversation. Uh, a couple days ago. So real quick, before you get into that, Agile, for those of you that don't know, started out as a process of software development where you affect, this is a super rudimentary definition, but it's basically where um, projects tended to used to be really inefficient because people thought about them linearly. So it's like you move through steps one, two, three, four, five in the order of one, two, three, four, five. Agile says that if there's seven steps, potentially steps one, two, four, and six can be done at the same time because there's not interdependencies. Therefore, you can reduce the delivery time and the efficiency based on doing things in small pieces in parallel rather than doing everything in this linear fashion. Whoa, whoa, whoa. See, now you're using big words that I can't understand, <laughs> so I'm going to have to take that as disrespect. <laughs> All right. So anyway, this gentleman... So that's agile. Yeah, so that he's, he, he tells me something about something called the Johari window. And I'm like, and I got it right, and I'm like, okay, so I've never... He's like, well, you surely you've heard of that. No, no, I haven't. So I'm like, send me some information. And so the Johari window is it's a technique used to help people better understand their relationship with themselves and others. And it was created by a psychologist named Joseph Luft and Harrington Ingham in 1955. And it used, you know, it's used in, in self help groups and corporate settings as a heuristic exercise, whatever that means. But. <laughs> Um, but Luft and Ingham called their Johari window model Johari after combining their first names Joe and Harry. That sounds smart to me. I don't know about you. But, um, you know, essentially what they're saying is, you know, um, the, there's this thing called the Johari house with four rooms. And it, it's basically the way we see ourselves and the world sees ourselves. So, in these four room one is the part of ourselves that we see and others see. That's just like kind of the open book. Room two is the aspects that others see, but we're not aware of. We might call this blind spots. Room four. So that's for me. That's like when my wife's like, you're being a dick. And I'm like, I don't feel like I'm being a dick. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're in room two. Go to room two. Do not pass. Go Do not collect 200. Room four is the most mysterious room in that the unconscious or the subconscious part of us is seen by neither ourselves nor others. Screwed. Um, and room three is our private space, which we know, but we but keep hiding from others. Interesting. And so, like, this really kind of, you know, I, I started thinking about this because this is what I do, right? And this idea of, you know... You know, on, on so many levels, like, um, you know, on, on one hand, you can think about it almost from the, you know, wow, on the news, the person who, the person who has it all, uh, someone like um, Chris Cornell, who all of a sudden takes their life tragically, right? So the world sees something, he's keeping something from the rest of the world, so he's in room three, right? Or, I, I, um, and so how we choose to show up and what we allow people to see. And, you know, because what I've found is as human beings, we're not so great at sharing who we really are. Not at all. And it's funny that you mentioned that because my last episode, which some people of this, which I may have done, normally I always have guests. There have been a couple of episodes where I've just done, I don't know if they're rants, but I mean, it's just where I feel <laughs> compelled to just go talk and it's just me. Um, but, uh, a girl I went to high school with, her son, 21, killed himself last week. Wow. Her, um, 
And uh, so the room three part, which is like what we know, but we don't share with others. So my dad died three years ago and I went through, well, full on, I mean, full on depression, right? Like I, I, and I took it out on Holly. Uh, My wife, my marriage was in danger. It, I was just dark. It was dark. The, the analogy I use is, or the best way I can think to describe it is that um, there was no color in the world. Wow. Like everything was just gray and black. And, uh, you know, Holly finally had, you know, the stones to say, you need to go see somebody. Yep. And so I did. Good for you. And it was like the greatest thing I ever did. Um, she's still a big part of my health, you know, my mental health. And uh, so this podcast, I just told my story and basically said, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, you know, if you, if you, we're working in your garage making a table and you cut your hand off, you would immediately go to the hospital immediately. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. When you're, when you break your mind. Oh yeah. You just act like you can just get, it doesn't, you know, it's like, Oh, I don't, you know, or this idea of weakness. But anyway, so I got into that. And then the further level, which even gets into box two of this thing is if you have someone you care about, you have to get past, the fear of their response or whatever to try to encourage them to help, to go help themselves or to, or to find someone to help them. Oh yeah. Because again, I'm not saying that this person I know, you know, failed their son, but you know, I'm sure that Chris Cornell's family on dark nights sits around and thinks to my, did I say enough? Did I say anything? Did I go, you know, when I thought I saw something wrong, yeah. Did I encourage them? So I just put this thing out there to basically tell people it's like, this is my story. If you saw me on the outside, I mean, this is probably sounds a bit arrogant, but I'm one of the more well adjusted cats. Like, if you just saw me, like, <laughs> I mean, I'm a pretty norm, you know what I mean? Like, I'm fun. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I like to talk. I mean, I don't, I don't think I have a lot of signs. I'm not brooding. I'm not, you know, those sorts of things, but I was in really bad shape and it was something that I managed to keep away from everyone except Holly because I was home with her and she caught the brunt of it. Um, but I just wanted, you know, again, it's like, you never know, but it sounds cliche, but it's like, you know what, I'm going to take this from room three and shine a light on it because if somebody, anybody hears it and it helps them to, then, then it, it would be selfish of me to keep that to myself or to speak on it. Right. Because it could potentially do some good in the world by putting it out there. Keeping it in a box doesn't help. Yeah. So, so you um, you touch on a very interesting thing, and, and so in the the, the core um, of of the work that we do, uh, the self awareness work that we do, in the name of alignment and execution and productivity and efficiency and results and creating a kick ass workplace, you know, at the core of it is self awareness, and 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 when you start talking about self awareness that you know, the word trust has got to be in the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, I, what I've found and, and what I continue to find is what, it's not always so easy to be honest with ourselves. Um, somebody who's not honest with themselves can't be honest with others, uh, and not in an overt lying way. Right. But um, but the, the, the part of trust that we focus on is um, vulnerability and courage. And, you know... Um, we're not really brought up in 
in this world to go let me let me especially in the south yeah yeah um let me let me show you the flaws let me show you what's real let me show you what's not right um and you know some people believe that vulnerability comes from a place of weakness i fundamentally believe it comes from a place of strength and if you think about art um you know we love artists that put themselves out there in a way that we're going man there's no way i could do that and Perfect example, Will Ferrell. Mm. That guy has no business being in every movie on screen and running around in his underwear. Right. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I mean, there's people who, if they were like, you know, male models, would not feel comfortable running around on screen in their underwear like that. And he does it, and he puts himself out there in a way that um, ultimately shows strength. And we're drawn to it, even though, and we don't know why we're drawn to it. And and so, you know, the, you know what I've found at at this stage of the game. The more I put myself out there, you know, good, bad, ugly, indifferent, the more powerful the results. Yeah, and also the person that decides to do that first, yeah, can engender. Yeah, you get more of a return. Yeah, well, rock and roll. I, I will tell you what I believe. You know, in my former life as a rock and roller and as a lead singer in a band that was fortunate enough to hit, hit more countries than I thought I'd ever hit. <laughs> yeah, um, I will tell you. I, I think what a real rock star is a rock star doesn't give, really give a damn about what anybody thinks. Um, they just are their 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 authentic selves, and they and they show up accordingly. Period. Not hey, I'm not I'm not gonna not be my authentic self for this person, but I'm gonna be for this person. No, man, you you bring it, and you know you were you were touching on something a minute ago that I, that I think is really important. Um, mental health. Um, you know, somehow we we've, we've gotten to the this place where there are people, and it's a very ego driven idea that. The idea that I need to go speak to someone uh, is some sort of weakness, means I'm damaged, means I'm broken, means I'm not strong. Um, man, you, and like, you know, you go to the gym to work out muscles. Um, I think uh, I think you go and you... This is about perspective and being able to uh, see your blind spots and and you know, understand behaviors. Like, we, we get to this place where we can only look through a very, very tunnel vision myopic view based on a number of factors. You know, we have to overcome our parents. Um, even if you got great parents, you got to overcome some part of them. That's just the reality. Which, by the way, I will tell you, one of the, one of the most powerful things that ever happened to me in, in my awareness and path towards some sort of larger understanding, a more informed understanding of, of being is when I realized that, man, man, I love my parents, but holy shit, like, you know, I, there are liabilities and there's assets and there's liabilities. Of course. And when I figured out what the assets were and then, and then also figured out the liabilities, I mean, I wrote them down and, and I went, well, holy cow, I'm grateful for those, but man, I got to work to overcome those. And 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 I grew up in a very close knit, you know. I, I don't have any, you know. 
I don't have any issues of never being taken to a ball game or no right. one showing up for, for soccer games or anybody telling me they were proud of me or any of this. But it, and as good as my parents are, I still there's aspects of that that I've had to overcome. And I think that's just part of the cycle. There's also a really healthy thing that happens there that's hard, I think, for most people to deal with, which is where if you do have a, a childhood or a parental experience like we did, where your parents were supportive and they're cool and, you know, you're not abused, you're not neglected, you're not, you know, any of those things, where you realize that your parents are not Superman and Wonder Woman, right? Like you oh, put man. them on this pedestal. And when I first figured that out, it freaked me out a little. You mean when you finally see the wizard? Yeah, when the curtain comes back and you see Oz is just this old oh my crotchety dude like behind the curtain. Yeah. It, it, it's hard because you're like, oh no, right? Like, because, you know why? Because it's a safety net. And it's like, hey, these people are perfect. If I ever need anything, I can go there. And then that safety net gets frayed a little. And the next time you want to jump off the building and land on the safety yeah. net, you have doubts about how well it can support your fall. And that's a hard thing. But the growth you getting from it is what you're talking about is going well wait a second they're humans and we got to realize that everybody's oh, yeah. a human and let's figure out where the subset what's the in the venn diagram yeah <laughs> like right where do the positives intersect with me yeah you know um with my parents um you know uh i, I live in an area in atlanta you know called brookhaven and close to an area called buckhead where my parents live and we get together about once a week and um it's phenomenal the exchange that has happened mm. with my parents. So this is really what's happened. It's almost as if we've both come clean, <laughs> you know? So like, um, so you're saying that everyone has left room three. At yeah. This point? Yeah. This is, this is not, I mean, this is like, this is what we call radical transparency, but like <laughs> I've, I've heard stuff from like that. I never knew. And for a while there, and my wife will tell you, it's almost, I must have had four or five weeks straight where like everything I never got caught for, I was telling my parents, <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, remember that time? Hey, so, um, you know, remember that time that, uh, you know, I went down to the Florida game and after the SAT test, yeah, I got a ticket and, you know, it was 79 and a 55 and, you know, the rule in, in our house was I couldn't drive for however many days the ticket cost. And it was like 300 bucks. And I was like, <laughs> I just took it upon myself that I thought it would be inconvenient and, and a hardship for the family <laughs> that if you're going to have to tote me around for 300 days. So um, on my own recognizance, I am um, or recognizance, uh, I am. I, um, I excused myself from school <laughs> and I wrote a note and uh, I skipped school to go to driving school so it wouldn't show up on my right. Like, they're like, what? <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, 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 then, and then I've heard stuff like, my dad just told me a story two weeks ago about when um, my mother came, my mother came to visit. It drew, flew into Atlanta from New Jersey. He was at either Emory or University of Georgia. And my mother walks into... And this is, I guess, in the 50s, late 50s, and walks into the women's bathroom. And when she walks into the women's bathroom, all the women who happen to be African-American are staring at her like, what in the hell are you doing in here? Was it a, a like a blacks-only restaurant? It was, it was segregated. Wow. But that's not even the most interesting part of the story. <laughs> While she was in there... Martin Luther King walked by my father. No way. I know, I'm like, dude. How, why haven't why, you told me that? What's going on? Oh, yeah. I've, 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 I've heard about like 
gangsters that wanted to do business with my father. I've heard like, I, like I just cr- my parents, um, they had pet porpoises where my mother rode dolphins in the show at one point because the woman was sick. Like, I, I've heard the craziest things. But at the but what I've realized and what I've learned is they're just as human as anybody else. And you know they did a they did a fantastic job of uh, not letting us know when. We were flying through turbulence, right, sure, and not letting us know when, you know, when maybe it seemed like they, it, seemingly we were going down in flames, <laughs> and we didn't even know it. We were just in the back of the plane going, "Yeah, I'll have more peanuts." No doubt, and there's also this weird sort of practical application of when you surpass them in certain areas, which again I think you don't expect to do. Like I remember clear as a bell because I'm a bit of a genetic anomaly, I guess, because I am not a small guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm six foot four. I weigh 235, 240 pounds. Um, my dad was five, nine. My mom was like five, three. Wow. Just really odd. I had a tall grandfather, kind of six feet. Um, but I remember as a 15-year-old, my dad and I used to always wrestle. And I give my dad credit because my dad would never give anything up, right? Like, mm-hmm. they never let me win at games. It's like, when you get good enough to win, you'll win. Until then, you're going to lose. Yep. And I fundamentally believe in that. When I, and people don't, I see it all the time now. People don't do that. It's like, oh, I'm going to throw it and let the kid win. I'm like, don't do that. Are you saying that everybody should, should no, get everybody it? No, everybody should not get, get a, a trophy? fucking trophy. No, that's <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I remember the first time I physically bested my dad. Oh, Wow. Like we were wrestling and I just, I mean, I was six feet tall as a 15 year old and weighed 165 pounds or something like that. And, um, I just, I got him, you know what I mean? Like I got him in a spot and I managed to get in a certain place and I got, I just got him like, you know, and that's a weird thing. But for me, and, and it's weird because I don't have children. You don't have children. Only furry ones. Yeah. This me too. But, um, I would imagine the goal as a parent to get your kids to this place, right? You want them to exceed you. I would assume that's kind of what you want. But, you know, it was hard because now in practical education, I exceeded my parents. I'm a first-generation college student, probably business success, all these areas. And so it's hard to reconcile those things, right? Like, I still think my parents were super people. Right. Because they're awesome. Right. But they're not, like, when my mom calls to ask me a tech question, yeah, I am far superior, right? Like, yeah. there's no comparison there, and it's weird because I think when you're younger, you just think they're better. They should be right, g- better at everything than you. Yeah, you know the the parental thing is really interesting. Um, I have, um, you know, I have a twin brother that has two little girls, and <laughs> I look at him and I'm like, I, I I view him as a superhuman because he's my age. And he's got a six year old and eight year old. I'm like, like the energy required is is oh, is, is yeah. phenomenal. And he's a he's a great dad, and his and his his wife is is a phenomenal mother. Um, as a matter of fact, they just took the kids to Disney World for the first time ever. Y- and, yuck! Yeah, and you know what's <laughs> really cool? And and as 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 expected, he was like, "Man, he's like, we had no meltdowns, we had no issues." He goes, <laughs> he goes at Disney. He goes, he's like, I saw the limits of humanity. <laughs> you know. He 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 um he was like I saw I saw couples just vitriolically just destroying each other and I saw kids just just melting and flipping out. It's like man, we we just didn't have any of that. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but but the interesting thing about um about parents and this idea about having to overcome our parents, I, I have a I have a I have a theory about this, which is um 
um, their intention is phenomenal. Their execution sucks. <laughs> Parents, and, you mean? Yeah. Okay. So, so the intention is, I want you to have it easier than I did. I don't want you to struggle like I did. Uh, I want you know, I want you to have it better than I did. Um, and there's a blind spot in that. So you know, um, homeostasis. We want homeostasis is uh, we 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 want stability of the cell, right? And so the way with we get to stability is through control. <laughs> Right. right. So that's how it shows up, I believe, parentally speaking. And the thing is, um, you know, the very things that they think that they are doing to help, uh, and sometimes they are, it, it is, but in some cases, it's, um, it's doing exactly the opposite. It's driving away, it's limiting, it's, you know, hey, don't make the mistake I made, you know, my parents said that I should have been a doctor and I didn't listen to them and now I'm... And a job I hate. Well, that was you, and that was your experience. Um, and so the intention is golden. I want you to have it better than I had it. The problem is, there's this thing called perception, <laughs> which is nobody's reality but your own, and that's a big flaw. And that you know, that's one of the things that I've learned. I, I used to, uh, I used to buy into the narrative that perception is reality, and I don't believe that at all. I believe, I I passionately think that perception is one's reality. Right. And, um, you know, what I try to do every day, in personally and professionally, is I'm just trying to take as much of the subjectivity out of my daily experience as possible because I find it a whole lot easier. And the more that I take out the subjectivity, the more I achieve what they call flow. Mm-hmm. And that's that's it. Uh, there, you know, there is no good or bad. There just is, and that's and and that's. By the way, you know what's funny? Jim Weatherby gave me the um, my call sign was Zen Master Death Slayer. <laughs> no Zen, yeah, Zen Warrior Death Slayer. Um, and and my whole thing is this. Um, through like this kind of battle of attrition, peeling away the illusion that is our daily experience of thinking that. What it when what is when it's really just something that we have projected in our brains, our minds, based on a number of ego-driven ideas. Uh, it's bullshit, and so um, illusion is the word that I use a lot. So, like, I meet a lot of people that are just addicted to worrying. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I tell people this as off often. Worry is an illusion. And which is this idea that we can control some kind of outcome, you know, and and we become addicted to the outcome. At one point in my life, I was addicted to I was going to be on the cover of Rolling Stone and I was going to fill stadiums. Um, you know, the difference is how you internalize. Ultimately, um, you know, do you let go of something or do you hold on to it and stay stuck? And I'm so grateful. I'm one of those people, maybe that pisses other people off in that not one day in my life ever, in 47 years, have I ever had the thought of, what do I do next? Mm. Not once. And I don't take that lightly. Not once. So, um, you know, when people say to me, man, holy cow, you're like working in corporate America. Not, I mean, not really. I step in and step out however I want. I'm... Mm -hmm. I'm it's called sovereignty, and that's another <laughs> subject. Um, 
I get to, you know, I get to architect what my days and our weeks and what our life looks like. Um, I, it's it's a it's a level of freedom that I can't even explain. You know, I'm not in the matrix. I I get to go. <laughs> you know, I'm doing whatever I want to do. Um, are we living or are we working? Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So you know, that's the funny thing. You that's know? what you told me the other day. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. Right? So my when my wife and I like we're sitting in Berlin and I and I'll you know and I'm I, by the way I finally got to taste a beer in Germany and it really is significantly different. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> it was phenomenal. Um, and you know I'll say to her all the time we'll be someplace and I'm like working or living. She's like ah I'm like that's it. That, <laughs> that's how I know we're doing it right. It has gotten so blurry. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and this idea that, you know, this idea that we have to be one person or one persona or one being in our personal life and another one in our work life, it's not sustainable. It's not, it, it's killing our souls. Yeah. And there's a larger, there's a larger thing to this. And this is probably one of the places where sort of my liberalism springs from, you know, because... A lot of, to me, things that are not liberal, and I, and I don't mean to make this a politics, I mean just in general. And politics, to me, if you're a liberal, that's a political ideology, but it's a life ideology as well, um, is these ideas of norms. Like, I despise the word normal so much, so even when I hear someone say the word normal, I tend to go like, whatever that is, right? Because What's that even mean? It, right. It's like, it's an unattainable state. Like if you really want to look at the thing, no one is normal. You're all on degrees of normalcy. And then what are the acceptable bands of normalcy? And if, and if no one can land on it, then it's bullshit and it doesn't exist. So that's why when you think like with gay people or whatever, and this idea or transgender people or people that want to put a duck on their head <laughs> and walk around, right? So long as there's not some underlying thing that will cause them harm, that will cause them to harm, cause harm to others. Like, be you constructs change societal constructs change all the time you mentioned the story about your dad and the colored restroom right the, the, they'd have the coloreds only right on right. the thing which now that word is even amazingly offensive that was a construct that was completely acceptable and under anything would be considered normal in retrospect it was bullshit to me Civil rights and especially slavery are the original sin of our country, right? But the constructs are constantly changing. And so I say to people all the time, fuck constructs. You should challenge every construct. If someone puts up a construct in front of you and says it should be this way, as long as it's not something like you shouldn't steal or right. you shouldn't do whatever, things that reside somewhere on the moral compass that an, a, a, a thinking person can agree is not good, killing someone, hurting someone, whatever, like don't if that's not okay with you don't allow everyone else to to brick a wall around you and yeah. say the only space you can walk around is on this space not because you've decided that's your space but because everyone else says that's the space you're supposed to be in yeah so so the um the level of arrogance that i would maybe attach to the idea of who is to say yes what is right and what is wrong for somebody else is is phenomenal um, and you know, it, and it's funny as I, as I kind of, you know, <laughs> I've sort of ducked out of the Facebook debates, uh, because I've finally realized maybe there might not be a point other than the sport <laughs> of it. Um, it's definitely for sport. People are going to hear what they are going to hear. You know, there's this, um, uh, 
we see this in politics, we see this in religion, we see this, um, this is my tribe, I have an identity with this group, and you need to believe what I believe. And, and I, I just, I find it tragically sad um, and, and, and really so limited in a way that, honestly, it's, um, I, I used to get annoyed by it. I think now I've probably gotten to a place of maybe a bit more empathy Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, hey, this person is where they're at, and this is what they're capable of seeing. And I don't mean that condescendingly, but hey, it, it is what it is. But I just, like, who am I or anybody to say what's right for anybody or anybody else? I mean, you know, when I had my dot-com, I, you know, uh, so in 1993, there was this brand new thing called the Internet. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, do you know that at the NASDAQ International Business Plan Competition in 1996, I was told it was a fad. Of course you were. I was told it was a fad. I cannot make this up. And, um, you know, and I remember my parents, we took a $30,000 equity line of credit out of my parents' house. And I remember, my, and my parents have told me this time and time again about, you know, um, friends of their, and family members. I mean, holy crap, family members going, you need to look out for you. You can't you can't be helping to support your crazy kids, spoke in the box, internet, blah, 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 whatever. And it's like, man, like, who is to say what my parents should do for their kids or not? Like, if you just think about the how crazy that is, it's 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 the ultimate blind spot. Well, I wouldn't do it. Well, you ain't me. You ain't me. And so uh, it's just, um, you know, it's a, um, the level of flawed thinking of um, emotionally um, skewed thinking that, that, that seems to show up in, in these dynamics. I've, there's no shortage. There's no shortage. Actually keeps, keeps people like me busy (laughs) um but there's no shortage and and so like i just like man i just want to be i just want to be like you know i want to contribute i want to contribute and make the world better i want to create value for people i want to learn from people i want to i want to hit people to what i know that might help them think differently and have a different daily experience but man i am I got no business telling anybody how they should live. I got no business telling anybody how they should think. You know, um, we were talking earlier just even about like diet and food and stuff, you know. I mean, here's my deal. I, I just want information that's accurate so I can make decisions. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I get I get a little outspoken sometimes about the system. Free from free from corporate slant and yeah. Uh, yeah. I I just like, hey man. The overlords uh, that like, feel like they can control. I know that when I drink a Coca-Cola, it might not be healthy, but so would I love it. And that's cool. Uh but anything I'm gonna drink, eat, put in my like just give me the facts, man. Give me the facts and let me and let me roll the dice and figure out what like I know if I smoke a cigarette's no good for me. I know if I drink too much it's no good for me. Uh I'd like to have the same thing when it comes to like the food I eat or other things that are impacting my health and my well being. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also important though not to confuse um because I know people that listen to this podcast, they'll say, Well, Sean, you're a hypocrite. 
And I'm like, but don't confuse me having an opinion about how you're doing it versus telling you the only way you can do it is the way I think, because those are completely different things. Yeah. And when I talk about my own ideology, and I've tried to be better at this because I used to be one of those guys that like to get on, you know, to Facebook or to party or whatever and just totally mix it up. And it became a game of trying to convince other people. Uh, yeah. And I'm beyond that. Now I start everything this way is I, and this is what I do is let me tell you why I feel this way. Yeah. Because you can't invalidate that. And that's what I, and that's something that I know the lesson people learn. My wife taught me this. You cannot invalidate someone else's feelings. Yeah, opinion is exactly that. Yeah, but I mean, but feelings are even more. Like if yeah. Holly said, you hurt my feelings, I can't say, no, I didn't. Because you did. Because I did. Now, I might not have felt like that, that if she misinterpreted or it shouldn't have hurt her feelings, but that doesn't change the fact that it did. And that's where people can't get past this idea of like invalidation of feelings because people feel the way they feel and they're justified and right in feeling however they feel. You know what the big blind spot in that is? So here's this is how this shows up in our behavior in an everyday pragmatic sense. I don't know why you're so bent out of shape, Sean. If someone had said that to me, I, you could have said that to me. That wouldn't have bothered me. Right. <laughs> well, guess what? You ain't me. You know, we... um. So we all know the golden rule, right? Mm-hmm. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I have an opinion about it. I think it's a shit rule, but... I'll it t- is completely flawed. I'll tell you why. I it think is completely it is flawed. After you tell me why you think it is. Uh, it is completely flawed. And it's a, the, it, is, it is the biggest blind spot. It, it's lame. Yeah. And there's something that's called the platinum rule. The, do plat- want, the yeah. platinum rule is treat people how they want to be treated. Absolutely. That's Period. exactly what Game I Game over, say. end of sentence. I, I mean... That's legit, and and so like, but but here's the thing: we've all we've all grown up. We know this. Do one to others as they would have. Yeah. So so like the way that shows up in these sort of blind spots, and what what in in, in the work that I do, what we call absolutes. Um, you know, well that wouldn't have bothered me. Well, you ain't me. Or how do you not know that? Uh, I I will I would love to challenge uh, all your listeners if you you know uh, if you want to have a very very different experience from an awareness perspective try to eliminate absolutes from your vocabulary for a week and absolutes i mean always never every time everything now i want you to think about this if you're having a conversation with your spouse your significant other your uh, your your kids it's not usually positive when someone says well you always or you never Right. Which is flawed because that's saying a hundred percent of the time it is one way and which is right off the bat that is that is flawed. Right. And and um you know it's a it's a fascinating exercise when I when I encourage people to think of this. It's like I, I still as someone who teaches this, I'm like I catch myself doing it all the time. And I, go, oh, I always uh and I oftentimes generally generally like, yeah so it, it it makes you a different type of present but you start hearing like you know usually people who are defending positions in a way that's like you know really really flawed and really opinionated and really biased i mean man i was so i just went to my 30 year high school reunion nice holy cow you never think it's gonna happen to you i got my 25 no, yeah, yeah, twenty five this year. Yeah, it, or next and, year. and it was amazing. It was down in Jacksonville, Florida, and um, what was really cool. What I've kind of lost sight of was that there was a group of about fifteen or twenty of us that had actually 
come up all the way through elementary school. And so that was like people that I car like, hey, that's so-and-so who I carpooled with when I was in second grade kind of thing. But I remember, and you know what's crazy? Driving and Crying played. <laughs> oh, Kevin. Yeah, and, and you know, and which is funny because that's a band that we did a lot of shows with. Sure. And, and I actually, um, I, I was a little... I was a little, um, I didn't know what to make of how I should feel about the fact that they were playing my high school reunion. Because on one hand, it's like, on one hand I could go, well, a gig is a gig. It's maybe, it's putting food on their table. But then also as someone who played with them and played with them at places like the Roxy or played them at, you know, down at Legends and Statesboro in front of 2,000 oh people or yeah. all these different places, I thought, I, I was kind of wondering, like, what's their headspace? Is this, is this a get-to or a have-to? And, and I will tell you, this is the other thing that's really changed my way of being and my wife's way of being. It's pretty simple. This is, this is, this is how I define happiness. On some level, I have no right telling the world this, but I'm going to share it anyway. Um, we did say this is the way you do it, which is well within the rules. Yeah. Um, People may or may not adopt it. Here's my okay. fo- here's my formula. Yeah. If you wake up every day and the get-tos outweigh the have-tos in your daily balance sheet, you're probably all right. Yep. And it's that. And so, and when you think about have-tos, have-tos can be people that you have to deal with, whether it's family members, friends. Have-to can be, um, this is the job I'm doing that sucks, that I hate, that's draining my soul. And when you start thinking those terms, you um, it's a phenomenal opportunity to think differently and look through a very, very different lens of like, you know what's helping you and what's hurting you what what is nourishing you and what is draining you and so i you know i i feel like one of the luckiest sobs on the planet i mean at this point i'm having to work hard these days to find have tos like i don't i just i've i've actually gotten suspiciously good at eliminating <laughs> have tos on my worst day the have tos are so so minimized they don't even matter like i have to go do this podcast Ugh. <laughs> see this was a get to and you know what so here's what's funny so it's so it's um I, you know i i drove i, I sat you know I, I sat in traffic in atlanta traffic for uh-huh. for well over an hour which i'm not used to doing <laughs> but it was still every moment it was still a a, a get to i i believe that we do exactly what we desire to do if you think about the people that you will make time for or don't make time for, the people you call back, the person whose email you answer right away versus the person that you take three days, we are creatures of habit and we do exactly what we desire to do. And I would just love for us all to be honest about that. Yeah. That's, you know, and so um, so you get to you get to this place where you start realizing like, for some reason, I'm not motivated to go hang out with so-and-so or I don't really feel like it or I got to think about it versus, oh man, I get like, there was, there was no, there, there was no, there was no, uh, there was no second thought about, it. do I really want to come hang out with the, uh, you know, and, and, and do this on Thursday and sit in traffic? No, I never, it, it was, it was a total get to. And that's the point. 
And part of our sovereignty is we actually have the choice as to what we choose. That's part of free will. And anybody that thinks otherwise that we don't have the choice, that is a very unnecessarily sad illusion, I believe. Yeah, and it's w- another thing that's kind of crazy about that because I have this conversation with my wife a lot. And and sometimes I think these things you talk about can be the byproduct of something that's amazingly positive. So what I mean by that is Holly is, my wife, is one of the most generous your wife is this yeah. way. They're just hyper generous people. You know, your wife volunteers like a madman at Ooh. animal rescue. And, she, you know, she's such a warm hearted, you know, she's just got that vibe. And I'm not, I, I'm not an aura guy, like a person would say, like, I can read your, but I've become an energy guy. And I believe that the kind of energy people have impacts oh. the energy around everyone else. 100%. And so, um, but like Holly, a great example is like, and she does this with everyone and it's a function of her enormous heart and I get it, but like, and maybe this is really sexist. Maybe some of this is male, female differentials too, which is real. I mean, you can say it's not, but oh no, the female brain and the human and the male brain are different. One's not better. One's Males not worse. have a penis. Yeah. <laughs> Girls have a vagina. Yeah, exactly. Was, was that kindergarten cop? It, uh, I think so. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, um, but you know, someone texts her and says, do you want to come up to the house tonight and get have a glass of wine? Like somebody up the street. And, you know, Holly may have just been on a deadline and worked her ass off all day and whatever. And she starts to formulate a response that she think is going to soften, soften the blow of saying, no, I don't want to come up there because she's worried about it might hurt that person's feelings. She'll even do it with like service people. Like the so we have people that come and clean the house every couple of weeks. They're amazing. They've been with us for like 9 years. Um if she doesn't like the way something was done, she tries to find some way to soft land that critique or whatever you want to say. But I say to her all the time, and is you don't owe anyone an explanation, right? And and it comes from I think what you're talking about, which is just why don't you just say I'm exhausted? Can we do it some other time? You know. But she's so concerned about, so she starts to even so much. Sometimes it will leap to a lie. Mm. Oh, I you know because and and it's not from a bad place. It's like I don't want to hurt their feelings. Right. So so. Um, I'm not so I'm not so sure that we can limit that to a male female thing, and I think it might be um, I, I think that might be a factor. But I also think that there are you know as, as I've learned and studied behavior, um, there's some patterns and tried and true behavioral patterns. Um, you know we talk about Myers Briggs or DISC or all these different diagnostics and these what they call these four quadrant models that exist um you know there are there are certain people that are direct and to the point and hard charge and go and they're like they wouldn't even think twice about saying yeah i'm not coming over sorry um but i'll catch you soon and not even think twice about it ever that's me <laughs> there's the, the opposite of that um is the they're so concerned about how people are going to feel or think about whatever it is you're serving up or whatever's going down that they will 
go through painstaking efforts and 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 overthink and and there's a, like almost a paralysis to it almost like a sub optimizing yes like man you're making a big deal over something that probably the other person's not going to even think twice about but you are so concerned about you don't want to hurt them right and and man while that can be sub optimizing maybe annoying to someone who's super busy go go and directing the point it's it's not a bad quality right um, those people also are, are generally a bit more indecisive as well. <laughs> um, and, you know, um, you know, then you have people that are kind of tacticians and it's just, you know, it's just like they're, they're, they're you know, they're the spreadsheet people. They're the, you know, um, they're, they're not even thinking like directing the point like they're just thinking there's, it's just data for them. That's how they internalize the world. And then there's people the opposite of that side, which are just squirrel you know, um, you know, big energy. Yeah, I'll do this. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, that you know, they're like, hey, and 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 that's the thing that I've learned. Um, that's really been fascinating about like these different behavioral models is that, um, while we're not necessarily one specific thing in one specific box, um, it's really really easy to um to see and to understand kind of um these differences in how people are and like my wife is my wife is probably closer to to holly you know again and, and no stretch you know they're both into the animals and, and and whatnot um it it almost is feels like paralysis for people like you and i yeah you know um not a right not a wrong just a different absolutely you know, and 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 I and I think ultimately, um, I think the evolved level of thinking that 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 is capable is when we get to a place of going, man, you are when you get to a place of going, you are wired that way, and I'm wired this way, and no one's really right or wrong; it's just different. But now I understand. So, and now that I understand that, I can appreciate it. Um, understand what that means to you know the pace of life or whatever that is that to me is is the real opportunity and you know it's really interesting um we're not really taught how to interact with people not at all and and you know it, it's it's really fascinating so so like with the work that i do and and you know it's funny like i was a singer in a rock band man and I was a douchebag with a smile. <laughs> and that's how I started doing the work that I was doing. Like, what makes me, like, I don't want to say an expert, but is that I've, like, seen the error in my ways. So I was somebody that was very, uh, kind of the antithesis of collaborative and the, and the antithesis of self-aware and someone who was much quicker to point a finger and, and my blind spots had blind spots. And that's really how, how, how banding was born, right? Um... And and just for a little bit of context, um, you know, we 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 use um, you know behavioral science and and rock and roll and the narrative and my my rock, my band experience to uh, help create high performance teams and organizations. And so the whole deal is we teach people how to be more self aware, so ultimately they can get aligned or be in harmony in the musical world, so they can execute, which is get stuff done, and that's really what we do. And, you know, um, I never, in, in my quest for 
the result, I, 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 it, I never realized the value, especially in the band, of like other points of view, other contribution. You're slow. If you were slowing me down, I just wanted to run you over. Especially because you were a lead singer, because they are the fucking worst. <laughs> you know, here's the funny thing. You know, um, part of us a lead singer, but like, you know, I was the guy that was really the driver. Yeah. You know, like not not just the singer, but like, okay, I'm booking the gigs and I'm finding the opportunities and I'm plotting the the, the path and the course, and it really took the sub-optimization and the implosion of that to lead me to to what I do now. And what I've what I've realized is the entire human experience. You know, the difference between someone like me who's going through the world who like on some level people look at us, my wife and I and like, man, you've got the world by the balls. Like the life that you're living, what you get to do, it's by design. But it doesn't happen without humility. It doesn't happen without um, a quest for learning and understanding and really trying to get outside of myself. See everything in the world that is great in my wife and everything that she brings to us and to the world. Um, Like even that I couldn't see in the same way before. Don't you think too that... There's so much, and and I think your thing about removing absolutes and some of these sort of tactical things you can try is this inherent idea of people just getting out of their own way. Mm. You know, man, I I never knew what getting out of your own way meant, and and I will tell you, I I for years I said, um, man, I'm just trying to get out of my own way, and and on some level I was doing it, and then and then I then I met a, a gentleman named. Uh, named uh, Dwayne Cummings, who, um, he's the CEO of a company called LeaderCast. Uh, it's based in Atlanta. They're the, they're like the Smithsonian of leadership and they do this thing at the Gwinnett Arena and it's broadcast all over the world and they have all these, you know, people like Daniel Pink speak and Molly Fletcher and like all the, you know, and, and they've just had everyone from like, you know, like just crazy leaders, right? And, He's really the person. It's funny I call him Yoda. Um, <laughs> he's um, he's the person that has helped me actually in the last year, probably maybe in the most significant way. I'm sure my wife and everyone on my team would tell you um, of getting out of my own way and the illusion that I was creating. Like, I mean, you know, it, it's so funny. I was so quick to point the finger at people who didn't produce the result. But what I didn't understand or realize, I was actually setting them up for failure. Mm. And I was setting them up for failure because I didn't have clearly defined objectives or roles or, hey, I put someone in a role without defining what was really required. And in my proving, my bullshit proving mechanism, like, and I'll just get them to where they... I'll teach them what they need to know. Like, it's an arrogance that that I didn't realize. And so, um, this getting out of your own way thing, I said it for years. It really wasn't until the last year that I really, I think, got to a different place of understanding what that was. And, and you know, people like Dwayne and some other 
people in my life. You know, there's a gentleman named Mark Camine who was the it was a client of ours and good friend. Uh, I'm wearing my Grateful Dead shirt. Yeah, this was a guy who big Dead fan. He was he was the head of sales for Hilton and um, is someone that we partner with and was a you know uh, taught me a lot. Um, by the way, it's the only time I've ever paid a penny more than face value for a ticket for a concert in my life. It was July 3rd, two years ago. It was raining. We are supposed to go up to Lake Lanier. And I'm like, damn, it's raining. Bummer. You know, what are we going to do? And I went online. I'm like, man, I'm going to see what's going on with the dead. Like if anyone posted any recordings of the dead shows from Chicago, they were the final shows with Trey from Fish playing. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I remember my my wife, Teresa, walks downstairs, and I said, guess what? She goes, what? I said, I'm going to Chicago tomorrow. She goes, what? <laughs> <laughs> she goes, for what? I said, I'm going to the final Grateful Dead show. Really? <laughs> I don't know how to explain it, but I need to be there. Yeah. What? Yeah, I need to be there. I paid 500 bucks on StubHub. Wow. I've never paid, like... That was unthinkable for me. Like I was the guy that got tickets, right? Paid five hundred bucks on StubHub, and I and I used frequent flyer miles, and I crashed in his uh, hotel suite. <laughs> I've, I've like I've crashed in shittier places than yeah, this. Yeah. Let me tell you, this was pretty posh. And then, um, uh, and I remember him saying something to me, and he said, "You know, Alan, when I was debating as to whether to come up or not, or spend the money and all that." And I also had a meeting at like Newell Rubbermaid the <laughs> next morning in Atlanta. Like I had to be here by like 11 <laughs> for a pitch. And um, he goes, man, he goes, I don't know, man. He goes, all I know is this. If you, if you come, there's no way you regret it. And if you don't come, you're going to regret you, you You very well might regret it. And so I went. I went. And 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 so the entire, the entire basis of 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 the life that my wife and I live now, is what we call showing up. We show up every opportunity we have to show up. We show up. Yesterday, this is pretty cool. So we went to Kenya right after Holly went to Kenya. Yeah. And this was back in March, and this was one of those deals where, like, in February, we're hanging out with uh, our friend Dwayne and his wife at the um. Gosh, what's there's a breakfast place. Um, I gotta think of it. It's down in Fourth Ward. Uh, oh my goodness, I'll think of it in a minute. Fourth Ward, Ria's Bluebird. No, uh, it's not a chain. It's like a, no, no, it's a local. Uh, oh, I've, and they got like peanut butter French toast and uh, anyway, we're there, we're there, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, um. Somehow it comes up in conversation that it's a bucket list for my wife to go to Africa. All of a sudden, Dwayne and Kim were like, "Well, let's go to Africa." And we're like, "What? What? What?" <laughs> and next, the next month, we we're going to Africa. And when we were in Africa, not only did we do the safari stuff, but we actually went to the one of the biggest slums in Africa called Mathari. We uh, went and visited schools for an organization called NU Kenya, which is a great organization run by a guy named Adam out of uh, just outside of Nashville. And we met, we spoke at Strathmore University to a group of student leaders. And one of the student leaders, his name is Daniel, said, I'm going to be coming to the United States. 
And Dwayne and I said, when you come to, if he said he was coming to Atlanta, to Atlanta and I said, you come to Atlanta, we're going to hang. And here's what's so funny. And his reality was like, yeah, yeah, that's probably far-fetched. For Dwayne and I, it was like, well, yeah, if we're here, we're going to hang. We picked him up at Emory last night and went to dinner. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, and I'm sure you can appreciate this being having been part of the traveling circus, right? <laughs> okay. Which is like when you meet someone and you connect with somebody and you go, man, we're going to connect again in some faraway place and it happens, the energy around it is amazing. And so we're sitting here, we, we, we pick him up and we go to this Mediterranean restaurant, you know, near Decatur. And I've never heard anyone say this. So he's he he went to Strathmore University in Nairobi, Kenya, but he's from Uganda. Mm-hmm. You know, it was interesting because I said to Teresa, I said, you know, there's something about that guy. There's just something about that. I said kid, but he's a young man. He's 23. And we said, uh, he just seems like the kind of guy that's going to go see the world and go back to his country and do something that matters. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting there last night and he says, and when Dwayne says to him, well, so what, what's the plan? What do you want to be? He's like, I want to be the president of Uganda. Wow. Yeah. And humbly. Right. And humbly in that same conversation, he asks if Dwayne and I will mentor him. <laughs> and so Dwayne and I are goofing, right? We're goofing on this idea. <laughs> like, can you play this out 20 years from now? Like, our our bud is yeah. the president of Uganda. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, um, but he was here to uh, try and learn to become a better leader, and um, you know, and it was just, and it's so funny. We were thinking about that and his reality. Like I said to him, I said, "Did you think we'd get together?" He goes, "I thought it was a long shot," and I was like, "Man, it wasn't a long shot at all for us, at all." Isn't it amazing also how the people that come from, not universally, not always, <laughs> but generally. Mm-hmm. Very good. On, I'm the absolute please. Yes. Um, that often come from the worst circumstances and limited resources can dream the biggest. Whew. And oh, I see people that have, especially globally, like one of the conversations I have to people all the time is, you know, in America, I might be middle class. I'm like, yeah, doc, but if they dropped you anywhere else, anywhere in the world, you are in the catbird seat, right? And and and, uh, and those people limit themselves. Yeah. And again, it, again, I fully believe it goes back to constructs and how how damn how how deadly and stifling I think a societal construct can be, or what someone has even built around you to make you think you're limited to. But a kid like that, I, they asked me to come down about uh, six months ago to do. So they have an entrepreneurism uh, course now or p- program at Mercer where I went to school, and. Uh, First, they asked me to come down for scholarship interviews, and I happened to meet the the main entrepreneurism professor. And she's like, "We have these people, and part of their project is is they're doing they're actually doing concepts and they're pitching them. And so we're asking alumni from various sectors to come and listen to them and help them refine their pitch. So I got asked to come down 
to be one of the mentors. So I'm like, yeah, because, you know, I have history with startups and, you know, that sort of stuff. And so, you know, we're going through and there's a lot of, you know, tech, you know, people have a web idea and all that. It's all great. You know, cool things. Young people, again, believing they can go do something. It's awesome. But there's a kid and oh, my gosh, I'm afraid I'm going to screw it up, but I'm pretty sure he's from Nigeria. Mm. Um, No, not Nigeria. Um, Oh, I'm a asshole anywhere anyway it's a country that you would imagine um they are now democratic but it's still really uh you know it's underdeveloped the economy stinks you know whatever he managed to do really well in school and his parents sent him i think off to prep school like in europe or somewhere and then he wanted to come to school in the united states and he ended up at mercer um and it was mostly through mission because mercer has a, a, a christian component or whatever and seriously this kid oh my god like i get i get thinking about it i get goose you know my hair Mm -hmm. so one of the things that's a challenge for him is that they the education system there the public education system there is absolutely atrocious and the private education system is way better but still by probably western standards is pretty atrocious and one of the big things this is just what he chose to focus on is uh a lot of times parents can't afford the uniforms or they find ways to get them into school. And there are self-esteem problems associated with the clothes Mm. that the students have to wear because some are not as nice as others and these sorts of things. And he seriously has done sourcing and figured out where stuff comes from to try to create a low cost way. So everyone can wear the same fucking clothes and they can feel like they are even Mm. So again, that construct of the haves and the haves nots can be leveled to a degree when people are young. And I'm talking about like fourth, third, fourth, fifth, what would be third, fourth, fifth graders. And I mean, his plan, like he found local sources for materials. He found partners that could help do construction. Um, He was building a, trying to build a revenue model around it because even the private schools are government subsidized. So it's sort of a misnomer. It's not private. Like we think about private schools in, in the U S but you know, and I'm just, this kid's talking and in my mind, I'm just like going, oh my God, like, first of all, the awareness is just crazy. Wow. Second of all, the idea is phenomenal. Third of all, all he wants to do is go back and make, it's a minor thing and he wants to just, that could potentially make a massive impact for his culture, his home. And it's like, and not to knock the kid that was trying to build a longer lasting light bulb or whatever, mm-hmm. but that kid's circumstance Right. It's like, how do you, man, how would you even eclipse all that and come back to a place? Because I think this thing's probably going to work. Yeah. So I'll tell you, I, I I might be the right guy or the wrong guy to ask, but, but, um, you know, for, for those of you listening, um, you know, there's not many of us who, who are, um, humbled enough to look, feel, touch, taste, and smell abject poverty on a level on a level that makes poverty here in the United States seem still wealthy dude we have fat homeless people just let, <laughs> let that sink in for a minute yeah yeah I, I mean I mean I'm not you know I'm not beating it down but I mean seriously like I've seen fat homeless people yeah yeah um <laughs> I, it, it is um I, I will tell you this um, under the guise of awareness, you know, we all jokingly at, at one time or another probably have, you know, we, we've heard someone say or we thought to ourselves, oh, that's a first world problem. 
I will tell you, it has a completely different meaning after after having been to Africa. Yeah. Um, one word that has been eliminated from our household is starving, even in jest. Yeah. Like we we won't say, "Oh man, I'm I'm starving. We need it." Like no, that that that. Like my wife and I will both check each other into the boards if either one of us uses that word. Um, we went through Mathari. Um, one of the, I think it's the second biggest slum in Africa behind Soweto and, uh, in South Africa. And, you know, it was, I mean, we, we sat in, this is a place, there's no running water and there's no electricity and there's no, and we met a woman who, this was so amazing. We met a woman who had just, who had, was recovering from surgery she was, I will tell you that she was living in a house that was half, not even less than half the size of the room that we are in right now. Um, a dirt floor with seven people living in there. And you know what was profound is when we said, is there anything that we could get that we can do to help? She didn't say, yes, give me money. She just said, can you just keep me in your thoughts and prayers for a for a for a, a good recovery. And and the thing that I got from that that was so profound and, and you know after I, I will tell you I, I got in the car after walking through the slums and this is a place where there's no toilets. I mean people are going to the bathroom in plastic bags and throwing them in the alley. I mean it was it was pretty gross. And I I felt overwhelmed. I remember getting back in the van and getting in there and and weeping, I, I, I couldn't believe what what was so profound to me was that people lived like this, and they 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 were smiling when on paper they had no business to be smiling. And and by by our standard, yeah. But by, this goes by, back again, to this again, perception by, by our standard, and 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 the and the thing was. If you if you if you think about what we waste, if you think about um, you know again the first world problems, like I mean honestly, so um, the dry cleaner screwed up a three hundred dollar pair of pants of mine, and uh. and 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 I'm gonna get bent out, and like I'm not even capable of getting upset about that any longer. I'm really not. Uh, it's a first world problem and has a different context for me. You know, um, it was it was really, really eye opening and really, really incredible. You know, the other thing that that I that I that I got from from this whole thing, and and I've watched a lot of documentaries and and things. You know, it's it's really great that there's so many people, so many religious organizations that do missions and they want to help. But the giving, one school of thought is that the giving is not helping. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. That the giving is enabling, and that the giving is actually like so. For instance, let's say there's a church here in Atlanta, and they're going to gather up all these shirts and clothes, and they're going to go to some city in Ethiopia or Kenya or wherever and give them to people. Well, there's someone who's trying to make a living and make their five dollars for the week selling, selling a shirt, and you just put them out of business, and you just put them out of business. Yeah. 
And what a blind spot that is, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so so what I've what I've been realizing in in my daily experiences, there's this extreme of intention and execution. Yeah, indeed. You know, like, and it shows up like where it really hit me is, uh, you know, I have an office in, in 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 our house. I remember one night. Telling my wife, I'll be downstairs at six o'clock to help you cook dinner. We're gonna do it together, baby. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm I'm with it. I'm with it. I'm. We're gonna do it, and it's gonna be you and me, and we're gonna cook dinner, and it's gonna be you and me. And by seven o'clock, I was still answering one more email, taking one more call, saving one more deal. <laughs> you know, trying to create one more, de- whatever it was. We walked downstairs. I walked downstairs and she was disappointed. And in that moment, what I realized was that my intention was golden. My execution was for shit. Yep. And the reality is, if I was, if she, and and if this dynamic was really, truly a priority and really first, that, I wouldn't that I wouldn't be in this predicament. So the idea that, yeah, my intention, my intention, like it actually got to a point where she didn't believe me when I told her. That's what it got to the point of. I know you mean to, Alan, but you're gonna chase the deal and you're gonna do this and you're gonna do that. And it was it was a pretty interesting wake up call. And, you know, and I say this because we, you know, earlier you were talking about getting in our own way. Mm-hmm. I was getting in my own way, justifying it all day long. I'm doing it for us, so we can go on the trips we want to. Like, but doesn't matter. And that's the so that's the quest. The quest is a different level of awareness, so you can prioritize prioritize the things that are most important and not compromise them. And and that's that's what I continue to try and work on every day, you know, and in terms of, and even as a guy that is literally in the business of self-awareness and teaching others to be self-aware, I still have the blind spot. I still have my blind spots and I'm still grateful every time that I discover another one. Well, to use an absolute where I think it might actually be accurate. Careful. Is... In that sort of pursuit, though, protection is re- pr- protection. Perfect. I promise I'd talk for a living. I'm sure you do. Um, perfection is not attainable. It, oh. It's an ongoing, right? It's a process. And this was something I was going to mention earlier because this is when you need to, because again, being results oriented, I think, has its own slew of pitfalls. But it's this idea of not only focusing on the process and understanding that the refinement of the process will affect the outcome instead of managing to the outcome, but also perfecting the process and finding joy in the process. Yeah. Because if all you can be happy with is the outcome and you manage to the outcome, you're never going to operate like someone that manages to the process that produces the outcome and allow yourself to enjoy the process. It's re- I just think it's really hard to do I that. am a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> Truly. It's the reason why we only made one real record. 
I wasn't a guy that wrote 30 songs for a record. I'm a guy that wrote 11 songs for a record. Yeah. And if the 11 songs weren't perfect, then they uh, didn't matter. Um, my perfectionism, it would be very, very easy to say this is my perfectionism. It's what's allowed me to create what I've created and how I do what I do. Um, the more I overcome my perfectionism, the the better and easier life is and the more productive it is and more fruitful it is. And perfectionism is, you know, what you, I'll tell you one thing that comes with perfectionism, control. Mm-hmm. Which has its own set of blind spots. Well, this is my grand battle. Like That's what I learned in therapy. Yeah. I have, ultimately, I seek control. Yeah. In places where there is none. Well, we suck at letting go. That's for damn sure. Yeah. That's the one thing I realized. And, and so, you know, um, again, that perfectionism for the result shows up in control. That's that homeostasis that we talked about earlier, which is like the stabilization of the cell. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that there's, we're limiting the variables and so that it can, I can get what needs to happen here and I can control. Um, I found that that's the difference between what some would call power and some would call force. I think perfectionism, mm, interesting. I think with perfectionism comes force and it is not sustainable and it requires tremendous energy, tremendous energy to keep stoking that fire where power is infinite and it hums at its own level. Power, I'm going to sound like a hippie for a minute, power is comes from, is, is from these maybe even a divine universal energy love whatever it is you know things that get kind of amplified and leveraged are things like purpose and belief and that's where that's that's what power comes from when people do rise up to do tremendous things force is something that requires constant putting coal throwing coal in the, to keep the, the the locomotive going and it's exhaustive and that is um, that was definitely one of the big shifting moments for me in my thinking along the way. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, and I think about this too, and again, I think this is where my sort of proclivities come from relative to ideology, whether it's life ideology or political ideology or whatever. But um, there's such a lack of, I feel that there is such a lack of empathy in oh. the world. <laughs> and for me, like if anyone says to me, um, if you could tell me one thing I can work on that universally will make everything a little better. Oh yeah. It's that. Oh yeah. And it's this, idea, and again, that's probably why, um, again, not to pick on politics, but I think that it's really easy to generalize. It's really easy to put tons of people in a big bucket and then make sweeping statements about that because it is, it's easy. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, in any circumstance, I try to think to myself, well, what is that? How, why is this person here? What are they going through? How did they get there? What's different about them than me? And, and it's so hard, but it goes back to a sort of a larger axiom that I've employed my entire, you know, this whole is it's really really hard to hate something that you know. Mm. It's really it's really easy to hate something that you don't understand and you don't know. That's why I think when we see racism and sexism and homophobia and all of these things, most of the people that I think exhibit those 
they don't know anyone in any of those categories because when you do know someone, they become a human being, and there's and that's something we all have in common, right? Yeah. So so this begs the question in terms of um, you know we're learning subjects, but we're not learning how to be great human beings the way we're raised, right? Um, we're, we're depending on what we can't. I don't think we can just depend uh, or, or count on on parents to. <laughs> I mean. Man, I, this is a very unpopular view. I think you should have to take a test to be parents. Um, <laughs> um, sorry, did I well, say just that? Like, just like anything in life, there's no reason to assume that anyone, just by sake of being able to produce a child, is going to be a good parent. Oh, right, uh, exactly. And, and I mean, sorry, it's not a, yeah. it's not inherent. Yeah, and and so when when we talk about empathy, empathy is, I, I find, very very uh, oftentimes confused with sympathy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not, not the, even not, not, the not, same. not even in the same planet for for me. <laughs> no, they but, share letters. That's the yeah, only but, thing. <laughs> but but empathy and and you know uh, I, I've been going through this thing uh, online. Uh, a marketing seminar with uh, Seth Godin. Do you know Seth Godin? Of course. Okay. Well, you say of course, but I've I've, I've come across a few people. I've one or two that maybe didn't know who, who he was. So people that are listening, just a side note. Um, Seth Godin, G O D I N. He is a marketing. But he's more than that. Uh, no, no, wait. You know. So he made his hay as a marketing like super freak. But what's happened now is, is just generally his views of everything of human, yeah, of humanity are just completely otherworldly and so easy to consume. That's the other thing about him that's great. I think his superpower oh. is the ability to, the ability to draw things yeah. in a certain relief where you can really, in turn, like you know what I mean, get it. So anyway, he has a blog. He pr- produces all it's, kinds of stuff. R- if you, seriously, business, not life, go read him. It's one He's of the, amazing. It's one of the few blogs that I get that I read every day. Absolutely, and I always get pissed off. I'm like, how can this guy <laughs> keep producing stuff that is so brilliant? Yep. He was a mechanical engineer uh, from that went to Stanford. Um, I learned this in, through this seminar thing that I've been a part of. But in talking uh, in this through this marketing seminar, what he was talking about was this idea: like everything is steeped in empathy and psychographics, mm-hmm. right? Like, so, so the idea and, and and just this really crazy shift of thinking in that, like, look, the job of a marketer is not to manipulate, it's not to trick, it's not, but it's ultimately, and it's not just to get inside the head of it's to understand it's like the person who are you seeking to change what do they believe that's different than you what do they feel that's different than you um you know and and it's been a fascinating it's been a fascinating exercise because it's made me think so differently uh you know because it's very easy like for someone like me like Look, we feel like we have the cure for for human insanity in in the work that we do in terms of you know how to work with others and whatnot. But the people that we're trying to spread the message to, they have different concerns and they have different beliefs and they have different um, tolerances for risk and they have different things that are important to them and they have you know and it's like and and ultimately this idea of of, of empathy is. It's a true understanding of somebody else's view and what they think and what they feel. And so so even what we were talking about earlier when it's like if you say, "Well, I don't know why you're I don't know why you're so bent out of shape. That wouldn't have bothered me." Well, again, you're not me. 
and and empathy is um i think empathy is the engine for human compassion understanding awareness i th- i think it's at the root of really unlocking a lot of the human problems and 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 the differences that you know it's like look man you and i don't have to agree but like the idea that you are a lesser person or more of a person or anything because you think differently but like that's complete bullshit it sounds super corny but my little phrase i say is that i believe honestly that empathy is the salve that could heal the world if, if, 100%. If everyone could just make an effort. And the thing that's about empathy that is so phenomenal, and again, this is goes back to what I said earlier about don't manage to outcomes, manage to process, is the real juice in empathy is the process of, of achieving it. Walking through the things, right? Like trying to understand all the little bits that get you to that place where you can go, oh, shit. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, and guess what? For those of you listening who are going, empathy, what the hell are you guys talking about? <laughs> Here's the deal. Here's all you need to know. It ain't about you. Yeah, it's about them. That's the it whole about fucking you. point. That's the whole point. If you think about any breakdown of any relationship or whatever, ultimately, a lack of empathy is in the mix. You don't hear me. You don't understand me. You think I'm this when I'm really that. I mean... Empathy is, you know, it is it is putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. And we, and as human beings, we aren't great at that. And we sure as hell aren't taught that anywhere along the way in any meaningful way. If you're lucky enough to have parents that are hip to it, maybe they show you, cool. But where the hell else do you get that from? And that's the problem. So like even the way that we are preparing humans, young human beings to go out in the world to make a difference... We are setting ourselves up for failure. It's not sustainable. And so, like, we've got to get back to a different level of humanity. We, we have to. And it's not for the touchy-feely crap. I mean, we, we, we got to get to a different place because it's, it's this, this divisiveness, this, um, this, this lack of understanding, this flawed bias, this I need to beat into you to I, I'm gonna beat you down on Facebook until because what my goal here is you need to believe what I believe. It is completely flawed. It is completely lame. <laughs> I, it really is. And and so um there's there's a human skill dynamic. I mean here's what's so interesting, you know, it takes someone like you or me getting into our forties to finally go, well God you know, there's got to be some easier way. I'm going to go talk to somebody yeah. so I can get out of my own way. Why the hell do we have to wait until we're 40 something to figure out what, whenever, like, this is basically like, hey, the race car's going around the track. So we're going to wait to actually look at the engine once it starts smoking and blowing <laughs> up and about right. to fall out from the car. I mean, that really is our approach. And so this idea of prevention, this idea of a holistic, view of 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 ourselves and how we interact with others i mean you you can't even you can't even limit it to something as as simple and stupid as like you can sit there and say communication but like man this is about awareness this is about like the more aware i am of how i show up the 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 more productive the more 
better feeling my daily experience is. And awareness doesn't happen without empathy. At that that's 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 a part of awareness. And we're not learning it anywhere. And it takes going it takes going to a counselor or a therapist or whatever for for that even to get on the radar of people like you and me. And that's the problem. Mm-hmm. That is the problem. And that's that's one of the conversations that I like. That's a, a narrative that I'd like to see. You know, it's like, man, how do we equip our, equip ourselves as human beings that can handle a different type of capacity mentally, so we can get all these other things that we want to say we want to get out of our lives? Yeah, and also this this idea that people have, I think, about a lack of mutual exclusivity, right? So again, if you are highly empathetic, you can't have drive. Oh man. If you are highly empathetic, you can't pursue your goals. Man. If you are highly empathetic, you can't I th- it's the opposite. But the construct has said, right? It's this attitude and it even goes man. back to like even if you look at societal sort of uh stereotypes if you will, but like the 80s, you know, the me decade and these things where you, you know, it's like I'm looking out for me, and I would argue that you can't achieve optimization if you're only looking out for yourself. It's impossible. But some people believe that that's the path, and I'm, you know, and again, I'm not in the business of telling people right and wrong. But my experience has been that if you are wholly unaware of everyone around you, your progress cannot, it can't maximize. It's just impossible. Yeah, you you just hit a major major button of mine. And I will tell you if um, I was actually thinking about this today when I was um, driving. I, I'm I'm great uh, driving around Atlanta. We're all, we're out of bourbon. Yeah, it's <laughs> good go uh, off the yeah, rails from here. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about what they would what I would want on my tombstone. I'm not really gonna have a tombstone because I want to be cremated and spread in the British Virgin Islands and in, in the ocean. But oh, I thought you were gonna say you want a Weatherby to drop you off in space. No, well, no, he, well, that, he's 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 retired from the program, so I'm not. He'd have to give it to a. Hey, hey, can you smuggle this jar to one of your buddies? Um, but um, you know, I I, I think that uh, one of the things that I've learned that's also been really, really powerful in not only my awareness, but it really shows up in not only the life that my wife and I lead, but um, but the work that, that, that I do, and again, there's, there's no difference. Our default as human beings is this or. And every bit, every fiber of my being on a daily basis is this and. Mm, I love it. It's it's and 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 I will tell you this is one of the things that I that I learned from my shrink. Um, he said, "You know, Alan, we have a tendency. Our default is door number one, door number two. That's really our default. We can do this or that. That's it. And it's driven by emotion. It's driven by perception. It's driven by limited thinking. It's limited by pressure. It's limited by stress. But the reality is." Most of the time, there's a door number three, there's a door number five, there's door number eight, there's door number 10. Or you can rock around the wall and get in both doors. There you go. (laughs) There you go. But I mean, the thing is, there is, um, and so it's... um, This is a larger thing about creating rules where there are none, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) but, But this idea 
that in any situation we go, you know, this this is um, you know, it's it's this or and and I'm just every fiber of my being is this and and and, and I've I have I have to do this with clients. Sometimes I actually have to do this with my wife. Uh, I do this with friends. It's like this is this is the way we have a tendency to show up, and it's not necessarily because we're lazy. Sometimes you know, part of it's blind spots. Part of it is our emotion keeps us from seeing what's truly possible, and that's limiting. But man, it's this or it's it's this or so. Like the idea that. Man, I'm as em- I, I I am as empathetic as the day is long. I am as driven as the day is long. Period. My empathy doesn't hinder me. My empathy helps me, because the more aware I am, the more optimized I I am capable of being. And so, um, the idea that that those types of things are going to slow somebody down. Uh, make it so someone doesn't get a result is uh, I I I I find it tragically flawed. So is this and what would be on your tombstone? I think so. I'm trying to think of what mine would be. I think I would like it to be. This is off the cuff, so I reserve yeah. the right to revise this later. Sure. Um. I think I might like it to say. We knew who he was, and so did he. Ooh, snap. Yeah. You know, I, and, and it sort of begs the question, like, why the hell was I even thinking about that today, driving around Atlanta? Maybe because you know? we were going to talk about it later. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. But I, I, I really, to get all metaphysical yeah, on but, your but ass I, shit. But I, really, but I really thought about that. It's like my, my whole thing is, it's like, you know, um, you know, my job every day, every single day, with our clients and with people that we, whether people that coach or people that we work with, is simply to help them see what's possible, and that's it. Yeah, and it's so you're right though, and to think about that, it's so true. I never thought about we don't teach it. I, I actually know the greatest compliment I've ever received, and I just think about it because it ties specifically to this. And um, I understand I'm a a very lucky dude. Hashtag blessed. Whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it. Um, but when I got married, my best friend from college, or one of my best friends from college. You outpunted your coverage. Like, oh, by a hundred yards, dude. Come okay. On. So I'm did just, you. I'm, yeah, clearly. <laughs> clearly. Come on, dude. Um, I mean, but it's not even by a mile. Um, my best man was a guy I played baseball with in college. And he wrote his toast, you know. Um, and so... Like you, I we, I got married. Le- I guess by a southern definition, I got married later in life at the ripe old age of thirty. Yeah, when everyone's like, it's, "You're 22 and not married." Again, societal construct that's stupid. That's not universal. It's what's right for you is right for you. Don't right. listen to anybody tell you like you should do this by this time. That's right. fucking dumb. Um. So he gave a speech and he said, "The thing that I envy most about Sean." is he's completely comfortable in his own skin. Mm. And he's not afraid to pursue something if he believes that he wants to do it. And just in the last 
probably two years, I've internalized that really to the the nth degree. So, so to your point, what we've just talked about these things, as I'm lucky because I think for me these ideas are intrinsic. Again, not that I haven't worked to learn them and be better at them, but a great example is coming from my background, traditional Southern, you know, background, a religious background, you know, like a Southern Baptist, you know, brought up college, you know, parents are going to college, some of that doctor, lawyer, that sort of mentality. And when I look back at my life, it was like, I graduated from college after getting a hundred something thousand dollar college degree. And I went out on the road with a rock, (laughs) with a rock band. Right. And I I had gotten into law schools and I was like, man, I just don't want to do that. Like, I don't think that I'm going to be happy doing that, but this sounds really fun. Yep. And, you know, I can make enough money to live and, uh, you know, it'll be fun. And then I worked in startups and I've taken shots at businesses and I owned a bar in Buckhead. And people are like, you're weird. Like your LinkedIn page is weird. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it is, but it's kind of glorious. Man. Because your LinkedIn page is like. You know, again, not knocking this because this is right for some people, but for me, when I see SunTrust training program, teller, associate at the bank, vice president of commercial banking, and that's cool. But for me, that would have not, there wouldn't have been joy in that. And even at the time, it was probably a young person saying, riding around with a band would be fun, playing your guitar in front of people would be fun. You know what I mean? In retrospect, I got to see the country out of the window of a vehicle. I got to meet people and do things and see things and live and do stuff that people don't get to see. And I wouldn't, I look back on that and people thought I was nuts. Like if I listened to what the construct said, if I listened to what the matrix said, I would have gone to law school and never had that. I would have never met you. Nope. And it's just like... You're saying I wouldn't be drinking bourbon here right now? That's right. <laughs> and like when I think about that, I go, fuck, man. I'm so glad that I didn't do that, that I didn't listen, that I just said, eh, why don't I give that a shot? Yeah. So again, and and, and I think we touched on this a little bit earlier, like I'm... I I might be one of the luckiest bastards on the planet because I swear to you, man, I just haven't had a day that I ever had to go, what's next? Ever. Yeah. Ever. I'm like, hey, that sounds cool. Let's do it. Hey, that sounds cool. Let's do it. I mean, I quit my job at Electra because my twin brother said, I got this idea for this thing. There's this brand new thing called the internet. <laughs> and they have these things called websites. And you can, and what the hell is that? Well, you can, they, they got these websites and you can, you can find information for things and well, there's. Uh, I was looking for concert information. I couldn't find it, so I want to have create one of these websites, and I want to call it tourdates.com. You know what I mean? Like, and I want to have every band's schedule yeah, on there. Yeah, bands, not just the big bands, but bands like us. Yeah. Hey, they're spies like us. And um, <laughs> and 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 honestly, like I'm like on the fast track to about about to get my own territory for Electro Records doing radio promotion. I put in my notice. Took. Equity line of credit out of mom and dad's house, went to South by Southwest, had a booth, blew through the 30,000, went, oh shit, and starved for six years and then sold it for eight figures. Yeah. What are you going to do? And then lost it. I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I told what seemed like a home run was more like getting hit by a pitch. Um, 
as Kevin Kenny and Driving Crying would say, scarred but smarter. Um, <laughs> but but um, man, you got to go for it. That's 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 living. And and like the things, you know, people look at us, people like us, and go, man, how you've gotten to do this and you've gotten to do that. Well, man, I call it showing up. And nobody, you, you know, it's funny. You said something a minute ago, and 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 I used to talk about this in one of the talks I did to uh, for, with college kids. I I had this talk that I used to do called um, Anatomy of a Rock Star. And one of the things I talked about was a real rock star is comfortable in their own skin, period. Like, you do what you do, and you're comfortable with how you do it and why you do it, and 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 you don't really give a damn. You want people... It's not that you don't care about people... That's not ultimately defining why you're doing or not doing something. And there's a, a confidence in that. And there's a, a sovereignty in that. And there's a, a letting go and throwing caution to the wind. And there's a vulnerability to that. And so there's all these things of strength that come from something like that. And for people like us who've gotten to experience that, who've sort of gone for it, you know, um, you know those who take big risks get great reward. Yeah, and if you look at, I mean, if I don't know, this is a guess. So I'm I'm hedging this by saying it's a guess because I certainly don't know everything about every visionary, right? That's ever walked the earth. But it seems like the ones that I do know about, truly visionary people, whether they're musically visionary or corporately visionary, or it's rarely a norm normal. It's rarely a path that the construct would say, this is how you get there. Oh, man. They are the ones, like, when you're walking down the road, they're the ones with a machete off the side, and you can't quite see them, but you can hear them hacking away. It's Willy Wonka. It's the dreamers of the dreams, man. I mean, (laughs) that's the thing. Like, I I used a a thing I used to talk about when I was um, managing salespeople, um, because I came up selling was I used to always say, grab a machete. That was my phrase for like, if you're doing something the same, this is the old school, if you're doing something the same way and you're not getting the results you want, it's the definition of insanity, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, dude, grab a machete. You're walking down a road because there's a road there, but that ain't the only way you can get there. Right. But you're going to have to hack some shit down to get through it. So grab a machete, go figuring out another path. Yeah, and see how that works. Yeah, you know everybody. You know what I've also come to to understand though. You know everybody doesn't have that spirit in them. They don't, and that's okay. And yeah, it, no, it really is. I they mean, will can find their passion, their joy in uh, in other things. It doesn't have to be yeah. about career. Yeah, and 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 that's the other thing. I'm not so sure that career is the is the, is the the path to the only path by any means to fulfillment. I'm just again, man, I. I'm just a, a this and and not a this or like I, you know, I don't believe that uh, in order for me to achieve some sort of larger vision for the world and my career or whatever that I have to do it at the expense of my family life. Absolutely. You know, it's and it's just it's a choice. And and, I, you know, it's um, there's nobody there's nobody that can tell me otherwise. That's the thing. And, and one of the things I was going to I was also going to speak to. You know, I believe that nobody in the history of greatness or rock and roll ever played it safe. No way. You know? 
Um, and maybe it's not even limited to greatness or rock and roll, but like, you know, if you look at the Ted Turners and you look at like some of these people, these titans of industry, they stepped out. They stepped out and they went, man, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to bring something forward to the world that's just batshit crazy that's never been done. The rest of the world might not get it, but they'll catch up. And when they catch up, it's going to be a thing. Dude, Ted Turner was selling billboards for his old man's billboard company. Listen to this. When he was 20, looked at how his dad ran the company and didn't agree with it and bought out, took his old man's company from him. Wow. And that's how it started. And then started looking around and said, we can deliver television to people all over the place and everybody thought he was fucking crazy the reason you have cable television is because of ted turner <laughs> yeah i know it's crazy and people thought he was a loon yeah and also too it's like to me like i, I get really angry at people and that's probably the wrong response but um and maybe it's because i'm pretty arrogant as a person, I mean, I don't like that word, but I'm supremely confident in my ability to do something if I decide I want to go do it. Mm -hmm. I just believe I can do it. Um, guitar is a great example. I just decided I wanted to play. And I've never had a lesson or anything, but I bought a chord book and I would, I would sit down with just force of will mm -hmm. and get through it until I figured yeah. out. And I can't remember what it's like to not be able to play the guitar. Yep. Like, that's how much I internalized that mm -hmm. function. But anyway, um, this whole idea that you are, when people limit themselves, you know, and I don't mean that you can just be all willy-nilly, but just a core belief that if you want to attack it, you can. Yeah, but there's a lot of nuances to this, to this game. So... Um, Someone who's a perfectionist won't take the won't won't take the leap of faith. Sure. Someone who's a control freak won't take the leap of faith. Someone whose parents or wife or spouse or whatever tells them that uh, that's crazy or they can't do it won't take the leap of faith. So like I, I I feel like there's a bit of a there's a DNA thing. There's a inherent sort of um, mm -hmm. you know some people you know I, I mean look when when we if 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 you were to go and invest tomorrow you know uh most financial planners or advisors would would do this risk analysis right sure which by the way i i took a risk that, like i i apparently have a herculean tolerance for like risk like off the charts for risk and change um or or for change which is funny because what i do behaviorally for a living is mitigate risk um, I'm always thinking about mitigating risk, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, which is a little bit, it's probably why I can't sleep at night, you know, <laughs> um, and, and why well, I have a high metabolism. Um, but, uh, there, there's a number of factors of that. And so it's like, you know, uh, in the same way that there's some people that are built to lead, some people built to follow, some people that, um, are, are just, uh, inherently their spirit is designed to, uh, evoke change uh, some are there to maintain the status quo and it's it's not really a good or bad or better or worse or this and that it's it's just different and, and, and I th what I'm what I'm what I think I've come to realize is we we need it all 
Yeah, but I would also I would challenge that a bit, right? In in this way. When I said that earlier, of course, right, if you're talking about a corporate construct, like not everyone could start Google or Apple or whatever, or be Lee Iacocca or be Jack Welch or any one of the people you read about in your textbooks. Um but you can take this down to small it, I think that everyone is capable of that idea of the self-limiter, the governor, removing the governor in things that are, some people can do it like you with a huge idea. Mm. I'm going to start this company called banding people together and I'm going to hang it out there and I'm going to, you know, put, take fiscal risk, take all these risks. But what I'm saying is that people are like, that say, you know, paintings are beautiful. I really wish I can paint. I could paint. I'm like, motherfucker, go paint. Have you ever painted? No. Michaels. $4 canvas, $3 worth of acrylics. For you. No, no, no. Hold on. For you. No, no, but that's not, but you're not what I'm saying. Like, paint well, paint whatever. I'm talking about when someone says, I want to try painting, but I would never be able to paint. My challenge is, how do you know? You may find that that is true. However, until you put brush to canvas, you have created a construct that may or may not be true. Yes, but the ego is protecting that you you are you are protecting yourself from the idea that what if I'm not good enough? What if I can't do it? What if, I mean, that's just what that's how we psych, that's how we get one a number another way that we get in our own way. Totally fair. All I'm saying is, is when people talk to me, I'm like, listen, do it when nobody's watching. I know, but man. Go in your basement and pe- fucking try to paint something. I know, but the <laughs> difference is some people are not afraid to fall on their ass. And some people are terrified. I understand. And so, though, so, so the idea, like, I don't believe that you can just simply say, go do it this way. Because, like, again, like... People have different levels of strength. People have different levels of risk. People have different levels of perfectionism. People have different baggage of their parents. People have, there's all these things. And so, you know, um, what I would agree with is that the only thing that limits anybody is themselves. But, but, you know, like, hey, the person, you know, Will Ferrell will go streaking in the quad. (laughs) And 10 other people couldn't dream of it and there's no right there's no wrong but people just have a different idea and a different tolerance for what they're willing to do what they're willing to try um and and this still comes down to that vulnerability piece and everybody is not you know everybody isn't while everybody is capable Everybody doesn't always have the capacity in the moment to achieve that level of vulnerability to go, what if I try this and I'm no good? What if I try this? Like, you could try and go, hey, I tried it and I failed, big deal. Other people, for someone else, that could be devastating, right? It just, and, and you don't, you're not wired that way. And other people are. That's part of the empathy piece. That's part of the empathy game. And so, like, so, like, there was a big part of me that used to try and want to change those people or command those people. Like, 
you what are you doing? You can, you should, you need. By the way, that's another set of part of the always never but you should. Uh you need. I will tell you this, my wife, she's five foot two. The only thing that scares me more is if uh if I was to <laughs> say to her, You need to. You need to. <laughs> like it's arrogant. You need to do this. Yeah, well, of course. You you should do like those words. No, no, I don't say that because when people say that to me, I'm automatically shut down because yeah. I'm like, it doesn't matter what comes after yeah. that because I'm like, wait, who? Are, I, even if you're right, like, who are you? I know those words have been eliminated yeah. from from my from my vocabulary. It's taken a minute because I was the quintessential. Let me tell you what you need to do. You should do this. You need to do this. You know, I just want the message to get through. You know, I I this is what I think, man. All this comes down to is. I just believe that we're here to help our, you know, we're we're here to help each other step into our best selves. That's it. Like that's that's all I that's really all I want to do. Yeah, yeah. I think the going back to what you were saying before though, I think this is probably a a larger question than just the simple way in which I put it. But but then the bigger question becomes is if you don't know if someone is wired that way, right? Are you doing them a service or a disservice by saying so again, if someone said I think I want to paint but I'm not, you know, but I'm not gonna. I, mm-hmm. And then, so, if they're wired that way, where they can't take the failure, or if it didn't work out, it would be ultimately damaging to their, whatever, their psyche, their confidence, their whatever. But you don't know that, right? So empathy, to me, you have to have some some reference, right? Again, the process is trying to understand all the parts it takes to be able to truly put yourself in that person's shoes. And that's where I think that I hear you, but I, I, I struggle with what you're saying for me to not go. I will always be the person that says, then go do it, right? If you want to, just go. Don't be afraid. It's okay. Go. Paint. See what happens. And you're right. Not everybody's that way. But I'm not going to be the one to not say, well, maybe you're just not wired that way. <laughs> I'm not suggesting that. I think what I'm suggesting is the result that I believe you're talking about seeking is simply just inspiring somebody. Yeah, yeah. Because so, And but, I was like, because I would say no matter what comes out on that canvas, you know what you can say? I painted that's right. <laughs> right. So how you lead someone to how you Jedi mind trick somebody, how you help them, how you help them think about it differently, how you help them get over their fear, whatever you want to call it. Um, ultimately, helping someone take some kind of step involves inspiring, not commanding, not um, ordering, not convincing. Yeah, yeah. Well, clearly, it's. I yeah, mean, I wouldn't try to force someone to yeah. do it. No, I. I it, well, 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 you can't. But but I will tell you this. I spent a, m- most of my adult life trying to convince people of stuff. That's a low energy. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't really want to convince anybody of anything. It's not my job to convince anybody of anything. And quite frankly, at this point, I find it taxing and 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 really ex- exhausting. Um, I just want to help people see door number three and door number four and let them choose for themselves. And to me, that's power versus force. If I'm convincing, I'm forcing. If I'm telling someone they need to do something, they should do something, you know, people are going to do what they want to do when they're ready to do it. And and it's 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 like it's like somebody who's trying to get sober. Great example. You can tell someone, "Hey, 
keep drinking or keep doing heroin. It's going to kill you. <laughs> right. You need to stop. Look what it's doing. But you know what the reality is? They will not do that until they are ready to do that. That's how behavior change works. And generally, there is a compelling event that makes someone shift and go, I'm going to try this, not try this, do this, not do that. And so sometimes we can be the catalyst for it. But at the end of the day, people are going to do what they want to do when they're ready to do it. And that's, and, and, and I have, good grief, I've, ex, I've exhausted a lot of energy uh, trying to get people to see things that they aren't ready to see. And so part of my awareness that makes me more optimized and me more effective is being able to take a step back and look and go, man, Ball doesn't want it. They ain't ready. They don't see it. It's my job is not to convince them or to get them to a place like, and the more in tune that, that I think that, that, that we get in, in, in our awareness, we get to a place of going, okay, yeah, man. You know what? They're hemming and hawing, but I actually think they are ready to paint. I think I can help them, inspire them to be there. Or, yeah, they ain't anywhere near ready to paint. <laughs> you know? And and that's I think that's I think that is another level. Uh, it's it's a it's a heightened level of awareness and being. Yeah, it's interesting. So I've been coaching baseball now for two years, and so now I'm thinking of this in the context of those kids. Um. Sometimes the ball doesn't want it, man. Yeah, but I, I will say though, and again, maybe it, maybe this is one of the things where the construct works in your favor. As much as I like to beat on constructs, because when I generally tell them to try something, they do. I mean, I don't know if it's because they've come to play for us, knowing that someone is going to direct them. Therefore, they are open to that level of direction. Um, well, they're also there to improve. They're there to be coached. Right. That's that's also a dip. So, so that's different if someone came and said, you're going to teach me how to paint. I've already gotten past the hurdle of like, should I try to paint or not? They might be a more rational player in the game. Right, right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. You know? Whereas somebody else, it's like, man, if you, you walk up to somebody at, the, at, at Cumberland Mall and go, hey, I'm going to teach you how to pitch. <laughs> Screw you, dude. Yeah. Get, get away from me, you freak. <laughs> right, right. You know? Uh, I, I mean... I, I know that's an extreme, but I'm I'm just saying. So so like the environment counts. No, it t yeah, it totally does. It totally does. But you know what though? Even for people that you're coaching and on the team, and even for people that I coach in our organization, there are some people that are ready to see another way of being and another way of thinking. And there's some people that aren't. And what's made me more effective as a leader is actually getting to a place of understanding that my job is not to drag anybody up a hill that they don't want to be dragged <laughs> Sure, up. yeah. And, man, and I'm telling you, for a perfectionist, for a, you know, recovering control freak, for someone who has a convincing mechanism that was part of my psyche, that was how I was getting in my own way. So I've been fortunate enough to have people go, dude, Quit being an ass. <laughs> you know, like, you think you're helping? You ain't helping this cause. You're hurting this cause. Yeah, yeah. And so that's, again, that's that's the awareness piece. And that's the, 
you know, getting in our own way. I, I still do it. I still do it plenty. I'm doing it less and less. And that is, and the metric that I have for that is the way I believe that my team and those that I'm leading respond. But most importantly, my wife doesn't have to worry about what I'm not, I'm no longer a box of chocolates. <laughs> she doesn't wake up every morning going, which version right, right. am I getting? Yeah. Based on X, Y, or Z. And that's how I know it's working. Awesome. All right. So here's the deal. We didn't get to any of the stuff I wanted to get to. What are you talking about? Like as far as stuff that I had in my head when I sort of prep for these and think, oh, I want to talk about this. Talk about this. We covered amazing stuff, but this is the beauty of these things. Because we're now at two hours and ten minutes, which is you think prob- people will listen this long? Yeah, oh yeah, sure. Wow. Um, Thank you for any of you who who are willing to listen this long. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's the beauty of these apps now with podcasts, which I don't know how much you're in the podcast game. It's sort of become my world. I'm still learning. All the things about apps are great because when you're in the car, you're listening. It just plays, and then when you turn the car off, it stops and you leave. And whenever you come back to it, it's just right where you were. Yeah. So they end up self-episoding, yeah. if you will, yeah. like, and it just comes in. Well, you know what, young man? Maybe you, uh, if you bring me back sometime for an encore, we can talk about whatever things no, you plan. No, I was going to say, I sort of feel like you need to be like uh, on a rotation. I'll like, come anytime you ask. Just man. from talking. As a matter of fact, what you need to do. Oh! <laughs> no, no. No, he didn't. No, he really didn't. <laughs> this son of a bitch ain't heard a word I said, No, man. no, I'm totally kidding. But uh, I think, I think that, this medium for you would be a really fun and engaging and amazing medium. So, you know, my, my thing would say to you is maybe, you know, think about you doing, not with me, just on your own. I ain't so good at chords. No, no. (laughs) I mean, because you're one of the, I mean, again, think about Godin. We talked about Godin, like Godin just found a distribution mechanism to just take the stuff in his head and put it out for people to consume. And, you know, even we talked for an hour and a half when we ate dinner tonight about stuff that we could have easily talked about on here. And I just think you're interesting and engaging. And, I appreciate that, and, man. And you, and it's also your, again, it, the, what makes you really interesting is the fact that this is also your your work, right? <laughs> yeah. it, or it's what you do. Working or living. Right. And so anyway, I, but it's... um. I've just really become obsessed with this to a degree because it's so much fun. I mean, these are honestly like this last two hours. And I'll be honest, when you go back and listen to some of the episodes, you'll be able to tell because you're a communication expert. So you'll probably also maybe pick up on it more so than just someone that's that not their lane. You know, they just are listening for listening. But um, some of these are harder than others. Some of them, you know, especially in sitting in the air quotes host seat. Um, you feel the sort of pull where you're trying to get people to, oh wow, you know, engage, and and that's part of the to skill. I mean, yeah, part of it yeah. is when it's facilitating. This is super easy when with you because we just Thank go. You. Yeah. Um. Well, we've known each other. We have. We have. Um. But point being, um, this just validates my whole the genesis of the project for me because these kinds of conversations it goes back to the whole reason I started this was that all this stuff we just talked about and what you said about impacting the world and putting things out there and giving people an option to right to allow themselves to see doors three and four. Um, I started doing this because I felt like 
two people talking about these things are not available enough mm. for people to hear. Right. Because we don't record conversations. We take selfies. Right. We, you know, do True. stuff like that. We do not capture these. And there's so much good and this and here's the thing. This is not arrogant. This isn't me saying I'm great. This isn't me blowing you up saying you're the best thing ever. The reality of a project like this is that you could take, well, that's a lie. You couldn't take any two people. You could take a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I'm working on absolutes, man. You've already changed me. Yep. You could take a lot of two people and put them down and let them engage with one another. Yeah. And a lot of other people could listen to that, whether they know them or they're famous or they, they're creds or Absolutely. whatever, and learn and draw from it and, yeah. and whatever. So you just have a lot to say. Well, thank you. And thank I you. think that we need... I think that more people in the world... I think it's good when people speak up. I think it's... And I think it's good when people put it out there for people to consume. For all the shit content there is in the world... Right, there's a lot of really bad content out there. Yes. Really bad. <laughs> yes. And, you know, for me, it's like another thing, and this sounds super arrogant, but I feel like, you know what? I'm going to try to put out some good content, some positive content, some content that... Well, there's no agenda. No. Other, other than the truth. Yeah, so, you know, anyways, I just... I, this, is, this is the simplest way I put it. If you ever did something like this where you recorded things on a regular basis, I would religiously listen to it because I know that I would enjoy it. That is super kind of you. And um, man, the, the technology of it all just scares the hell out of me. Um, and, I will and, produce it for you. Okay. I will never even have to. You know something? Well, I, I'm, I might take you up on that generous offer. But, but you know, man, um, I, um, you know, I'm really fortunate. I, I, I get invited to speak all over the world. And, and you know, anytime that, anybody is willing to invest their time with me to hear anything that a schmuck like me has to say. <laughs> um, you know, it's, uh, I, I'm just grateful to share my point of view at this point, you know? And so it's like, if like anybody listening to this walks, like even if there's somebody that listens to this and goes, you know what? I'm not going to tell my wife or my kid that they need to, or they should anymore. And it changes the, the dynamic of how it feels like is worth it, man. And that's it. And that's, that's pretty pure and that's pretty golden and I think um, the environments like this allow for a different kind of truth, the the truth, because there 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 is no agenda and there is no end game and there's no there's nothing to sell and there's not it's just it's just two people having a conversation and being in the moment and that's ultimately what I think it's all about. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that I climb out of bed for. I mean, ah. you know. Like I was so geeked yesterday, like going to bed last night because, That's and awesome. I was antsy at work today because I was just ready to get cracking. That's all. You know, uh, I, I have to share this with, with, with your listeners. It's like, you know, when we're sitting at dinner before and, you know, we, we're having this really phenomenal <laughs> conversation and I could see, I could see on your, on your, I could see on your, um, on your face and your body language that like, and you even said like, Hey, we got to save some of this, right? <laughs> And here's the thing, that's the difference between power and force. Power is infinite. Right. And, right. I, and I said to you, you know, and I said to you, I was like, and my wife even said, which, look, don't take my damn word for it, but she knows, <laughs> right? Um, 
There, this well doesn't ever end. No, I know. And and the funny thing was, is that nausea, it, save it is the wrong word. It was more like in my mind, I wasn't thinking like we're going to run out of things to talk about. But you would say something, I was like, oh shit, that's but it good. Was, but it was a rich conversation. But I wish was, I I wish I had it. But you know what, man? This is just me being selfish, dude. But but you did have it. <laughs> and you had it where it counted, which was in the moment with the four yeah. of us sitting at a dinner table. But I mean, having it for for all. Yeah, well, <laughs> I know that's not always the case. No, I bet, but yeah, I, I agreed. So, um, thank you, thank you for having me. And um, if you know, also if if, if uh, can I can I get my email address in case anybody wants to reach out and challenge me on anything that? Uh, uh, absolutely, and yeah. I'll, if you want me to do that or to do something else like Twitter or some other thing. I will add it to the description. I'll write up a description. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'll awesome. put in the website for the company, and I'll do all that stuff. Yeah, and if there's anything that uh, made you think or... Um, or, or you But just, you can give it if you want to give yeah, it. Yeah, well, it's just Alan, A-L-A-N, at bandingpt.com. Yeah. And I'm uh, uh, at, at Alan Schaefer, uh, S-C-H-A-E-F-E-R, A-L-A-N, uh, uh, on Twitter. And, um, man, I, I love hearing from people. And here's the thing. I don't need anybody listening to email me and tell me how great I am by any <laughs> means. If there's something that resonated uh, and you want to share it, fantastic. If you think I'm full of shit and you want to challenge me <laughs> even better, um, I, I, I will love you just as much and uh, I hope to hear from you. And I, I appreciate you having me, man. This was an, quite an honor. It w- Dude, I'm so glad you came. As I said before, you were one of the people I thought about when the whole thing was born. That's um, amazing. Because of just, we've had so, going all the way back to McDuff's. Where I met my wife. In 1996, where or I got seven. 50 bucks and all the Guinness I could drink, and I thought I'd made it. That yeah, place. <laughs> I still think back and like, if I could honestly, if I could go back, um, you know, the first solo gig I ever played in life was was opening for you guys in in McDuff's, and you played High and Dry by Radiohead. I did. Damn. <laughs> you know, they call me the elephant in my. Uh, oh yeah, yeah well they, done. Yeah. Um, but. There are times when I, you know, it's the idea of going back to that just for a day or whatever. It's like it was, a, we didn't have shit. And it would, but it w- but again, rich. It, we were rich in many other things. Uh-huh. I mean, and it was so great. It was so great. It was a time and a moment. So please come back. We could do this. I could, we could, I could do this forever with you, dude. Dude, I'll come back anytime you ask. I'm not even kidding. All right. Well, uh, thanks again, Alan Schaefer, banding people together. I will have his. Relevant info linked in the comments on this. Um, thank you guys for sticking around. Again, apologize for the short delay and cadence on episodes, but life got cray cray, yo. Yeah. So, um, and I got a little weird, so I got some time, but we're going to get back on a little bit more of a normal schedule. And also now, because of Alan, I'm going to, um, so, so one of my things I've been saying since college, which has always been sort of an axiom for me, is um, until next time, press on. So just this idea of no matter what, you've just got to continue to try and move forward. Um, I'm going to change the out because of something that we've said. I'm still going to leave that in, but I'm signing off a different way from from now on. So what I'm going to say to all of you is, is take a minute and listen to someone other than yourself. You might learn something. Until next time, press on.